The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today, and I'm very excited about this. Uh, well, I'll let my, I'll let my uh, guest introduce himself. Yeah, so my name is uh, Chris Ray. I work as a VFX artist right now at Sony Santa Monica Studios, uh, which is under the Sony umbrella. Previously, I was at Activision, helped ship COD, and yeah, I've been in the, in the industry a few years now, and it's, it's been pretty great. It's funny, I just had on, of course, Brian from Massive Damage Games, um, and I was kind of looking to get as many, not not just like the blanket term game devs, but programmers, artists, people who write on games, direct games, on as I can, as many as I can, because I have I don't feel like I've had on enough, and I feel like, just selfishly, like I don't hear enough interviews with people that actually work on games. Like, forget, you know what I think would make good content. It's the content I want to hear, and I don't think we get enough of it. But then you reached out. <laughs> you know, what What made you reach out to come on this show? And and I'm also curious how you ever even uh, uh, heard of Moore's Law is Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I only reached out because I saw that you were interviewing people in the first place, and I thought I might help you out a little bit or something, you know? And I mean... I, I found your podcast initially just because of, uh, of like Threadripper and hardware news. It's really good, like as a developer to know kind of what's around the like like the bend. Because really, what what ends up happening in game dev is we always get shit like four years late. Is, mm-hmm. is what really ends up happening. So like, if you can stay you know ahead of the curve, then you can start planning out like you know what the future of uh, game dev is going to be, and you can start thinking of new ways you can use uh, hardware. And especially VFX tends to be like, if you want to make the best VFX, you have to be cutting edge. So mm-hmm. you, you really want to know, you know, as soon as something's available, like, I mean, we just got some news, uh, some tech's going to be available for our upcoming game uh, yesterday. And I was like, we can use this for VFX. You know, it's not obvious all the time that tech can be applied to VFX, but if you can find a way to make stuff look better, it's, <laughs> it, it's always a win, you know? That's your, basically your job, right? Or, uh, because I think, you know, VFX artists, so I think, oh, well, you work on special effects, you know, but but what does that actually mean? Because it's not like, you know, in Hollywood where you're literally blowing something up or something. Although sometimes, I mean, VFX artists and games do, do just work on movies all the time yeah. now. I, I'm just like, what literally, like you worked on Call of Duty Cold War. Like what type of effect do you remember making yourself or or and how did you make it? Because I really don't know. I, I did like all the impacts. So whenever you shoot a gun or you know a heli gun or whatever, and you see something come up out of the ground, that's me. So <laughs> you know, all like uh, I was mainly in the zombies team. I worked on the impacts and then zombie stuff. So like the mimic AI was was my effects work, and there's a lot of things that go into to the various and like environment effects. Like as an effects artist, those are really the big three areas. You can like 
uh, going into is um, gameplay, you know, stuff for your main character, like explosions, you know, if you're going to shoot a rocket, if you're going to shoot, you know, a magic laser beam or something like we're going to be in charge of the laser and, you know, the explosion. We aren't going to really be in charge of the gun or like even necessarily mm-hmm. like you see like some really cool textures on guns and stuff. That's not necessarily going to be under effects. That might be more under like uh, the weapon art and uh, technical art potentially as well. So we're we're really just mainly in charge of like the flashy stuff. I mean, and, and even the the stuff that isn't as noticeable too. Like you know, just some simple dust modes. It's crazy what some dust modes can add to a scene and make it look um, some dust. What? I'm not even sure I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, just like these little dust particulates, and you'll see them. Mm-hmm. You'll. It's weird because if you don't have them in scenes or like pollen, just something in the air that's moving. And mm-hmm. what ends up happening with a lot of these game engines is like it's it's static. Like everything starts to feel very like just static. Like nothing's moving. And like dead. Exactly. You know? It doesn't. Feel like if you play real. PS2 or, or original Xbox shooters, a lot of those online games, it feels like it almost feels like you're on a Disney ride. Like you're fighting in a Disney ride, exactly. an older Disney ride too, because even the newer ones have more stuff moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's that's like a, that that's like literally our job is to make sure that the player doesn't feel like. You know, this, they're living in a static world. Like, there's always something happening, especially in COD. Like, you know, we always want explosions going off, and fires, and, like, like we want to make you feel like this world is alive. And, and it's the same way in, in, in the game I'm working on now. I mean, it's it's really, especially at the AAA level, I mean, you, you want to make your scenes as vibrant and interesting as possible. So, Kinahoon writes in, uh, just like Patrons from Wars Laws Dead can, and he goes, hey, Tom and Guest... Uh, God of War 2018 was known to have some of the best particle and fire effects in gaming. Now with you working on the new one, can you go a little in-depth with the process? I'm an upcoming game developer, and I'd like to pick your brain a bit on this. Thank you for your time. And I brought that up because I'm kind of going to press forward here with the— like, So you said like a laser, which I assume in the zombie mode of Call of Duty, oh, yeah. there's lasers. So like— how does that happen? Do you like have a log of files you pull from and then make sure the lighting coming off of it looks correct? And then if you're like making a particle come out when you shoot a wall with a gun, like do you have just a, a log of things that you work from and make sure they look right and are applied correctly? But then are you like, ah, this doesn't look very good. Can we can we get some more realistic looking explosions? Could someone go out and make one? Because I know game companies do that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's it's really a lot of things like for a laser specifically, you're going to end up with more like tech. Um so it's usually going to be like a beam and that's more of a technical mm-hmm. side of VFX, right? And and you you can if you want to make a laser, you can just look up like Unreal beams, you can make a laser pretty quickly. Um but really what ends up coming into it is uh you know, you, you get tools like beams that are kind of basic. They they uh kind of end up looking like you know, sawtooth is is one of the terms we use. Um, just like jagged, and they don't really look like much. So you end up having to use you know particle logic and uh, texturing, and and you end up making textures that really help sell the look of these various uh, phenomena, like lasers. You want like uh, a thin tube, typically, right, to, to mm-hmm. help define that. Um, and that doesn't just come stock. You have to make a texture that does that. You can make a shader, maybe, but you usually want to make textures. And similar, like for explosions, I mean, it's interesting you say like, uh, you know, like film, they, they actually blow stuff up. And really what, what might surprise some people is like for effects, I mean, for if you want to make a realistic explosion really quickly, you can actually go out and buy a realistic explosion for like 60 bucks. 
uh, mm-hmm. like all these various uh, websites and those those are used at AAA. I mean uh, mm-hmm. not not infrequently especially if the art director really wants a very realistic look and you don't have a team capable of reproducing that within software um, one of the biggest things that we look for in AAA is like Houdini knowledge because mm-hmm. Houdini it's or fume effects uh, within 3ds Max they're like uh, these fluid simulation tools that allow you to develop uh photorealistic fires explosions mm-hmm. um and that's the same stuff that film uses too but usually what we have to do is you know we have to make these 2d images work within a 3d engine um and basically we're just replaying a you know a, a fire in 2d mm-hmm. and you, as you go around it you'll see it like follow you and, and react to your movement and that's just all particle logic but you have to make that look good you know like mm-hmm. the tools are very rudimentary so it's all finding hacks and, and knowing things to do to make stuff look good at the end of the day. And, and that comes honestly, if it's really hard, uh, if, if you want to get into VFX, it's really hard to do that through a school. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. uh, just cause it's such a new field and it's, it's always cutting edge. What I would always recommend is just, you know, YouTube's a great place to look at, uh, at, at some content to get your foot in the door to understand the basics of stuff. And then after you can build out stuff and understand the concepts there, honestly, you can start applying like, so many places are hiring now and you're going to learn best on, on the job. Like if you have a senior that knows what they're doing and they're helping you, which they should be, then uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Honestly, you'll get trained a lot better that way. I find. And I don't think you've said anything where we would need to say this yet, but I want to just, I just realized, I think we should say your thoughts and opinions are your own. You're not a representative of any companies of, of anyone. No, these are all my thoughts. <laughs> and going back to the lasers and machine guns, actually, which one, and I wonder if you have any specific stories, is typically like the most taxing on the hardware. Like, because I'm sure there's been times where you like had this really cool looking laser or machine gun and it's like, well, that just killed the frame rate. We can't do that. Yeah, I mean, it really, it really depends on like the game mode and the scene and all that because certain things are going to hit the GPU more. Like the biggest thing that we face in VFX is uh, overdraw, which is just transparency. And you mm-hmm. actually get the same issue with like uh, with environment artists with like water, for example, if they have too many overlapping masks of water to like add depth and, and make it look cooler. Oh yeah. Like th- those transparency layers, they're, they're very expensive to sort um, in the final render process. So like typically when it comes to effects, anything that's like, large and transparent and most of the time your stuff's transparent so anything that just is large on screen is always going to be the most difficult to really handle and then outside of that it can be like cpu stuff so um like impacts for example so say you 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 know you light off this explosion and you have Mm -hmm. a rock that shoots out and that rock crumbles on the ground into smaller rocks so all that cpu as soon as it is spawned it's looking for a place to impact Mm-hmm. And it's it's going to look for like a material that it impacts too, so that it plays the right effects for the like you know if you if it lands on uh, dust or dirt it needs to put up dirt, lands on snow it needs to put up snow, and the, all, all that has to be searched out. So that's what kind of when you start adding complexity like that, that's typically when it's going to be on the CPU, and then you have to you basically end up having to manage GPU intensity and CPU intensity, and that's also going to change with the game mode. 
Right. So it's usually like the things that spawn. If I tell me if I'm wrong here, but from what I'm hearing, thing you know, when the things spawn and as things spawn, that hits the GPU. But the second something spawns, it then also hits the CPU to calculate where it's supposed to react. Right. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not all things on the CPU. Well, no. The CPU specifically, you'll you'll tell it like spawn like three of these things, and that's it. But everything hits the GPU, no matter what, because it has to render, right? So mm. everything's going to hit the GPU to some extent, and then you choose really when to hit the CPU. So I guess I have a question here kind of moving forward. Why do you think so many people who are making games don't go on the record more often, right? Like when it comes to movies, you can't get actors and directors to stop talking. But when it comes to a video game, it's like the same three faces usually in interviews. You never get anyone who actually makes stuff going on the record almost anywhere. I mean, it's it's a big question in some ways because like... First of all, I mean, game devs tend to be pretty introverted. Like, if, if I were to choose one word to describe your average game dev, it isn't, like, extroverted, you know, mm-hmm. person. Like, like, And that's not, of course, setting the stone. It's not everyone. But I, I find in most studios, people are pretty pretty in- introverted in this industry. So that, that's a big part of it. And then outside of that, I mean, it, I think there is some some fear of retaliation because like like most like I, I'm on a contract right now mm-hmm. and most of the time when you're working in this industry these days you're on a contract you're not like a full like being extended a full offer is kind mm-hmm. of like a rarity and it means that like you know you did really well basically in, in some way or you made them happy or, or you took a crappy offer which can definitely <laughs> happen. But yeah, I mean, full full offers are, are pretty rare. Like I worked on full full contract at Activision too for almost like two years. You know, like and and if you're a contractor, you're you're always scared of being let go. But crap, I'm at the point of my career now where I'm not really worried anymore. <laughs> well, so how much of that fear comes from the threat of some? In your opinion, the threat of something happening versus just they know so many people are applying for these jobs right now and so they think they're easily replaced like do you think that's part of it or most of it or is it just oh no they just they think that there really is a pattern of devs being heavy-handed i think it's more that they don't yeah they're replaceable if i really had to nail it down to one Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean or way one more than the other yeah, yeah, I would definitely say that 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 they, we know we're replaceable to some extent because it's as you said, it's like the most applied for job. I mean, luckily, I feel pretty resolute and kind of like the depths that I've gone to at this point, where it's harder now. Mm. But yeah, like especially early in my career, like they're you know as an associate artist, I mean, there's there's literally like a thousand people applying for your job. I mean, they told mm-hmm. us that when we started, like, hey, a thousand people applied <laughs> for your job, and you got it. Just like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it does put a weight on your shoulder and it makes it like, you know, you got to be serious. You got to take it seriously. You can't can't drop that ball. If you drop that ball, I mean, who knows? <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of curious about this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with this question here. Tick Dickler writes in. He says, hi, guys. Amazing guest. Yeah, I know. It's very comedic name. <laughs> he says, I'd like to know from Chris's individual experience. How has Sony's approach to their dev teams changed over the years, if it has at all? Thank you for your time. And I think you just started there this year, but I, I wonder how much you can say to this. I mean, I, I can tell you compared to other places I've worked, and, you know, I, I came from Activision for Sony, and I, I, yeah, I'd say Sony's a, a lot more uh, inclusive, 
you know, they're, they're just nicer in general. It's, it's also like corporate size too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You didn't ask about like the, the Dration Schreier article, but like, yeah, that was, that's what I'm going to bring up next. Yeah, is, I might as well just get into it. Right. Like, right. So just so everyone knows, Jason Schreier put out this, you know, his, this, his report on, I don't know exactly how you'd want to put it. It's kind of like one of those palace intrigue articles where it's like behind the scenes, this is going on according to some people I talked to. And what he, what he says is that right now, Sony's been a little more, you know, the way I would describe my interpretation of his articles, he's alleging that Sony's become more of a suit, suity corporation perhaps. And that this has led to some devs being preferred more than others for some devs, like kind of, I don't know, like there was something about Ben being asked to work on something for Naughty Dog when they felt like they earned, I don't know, yeah. never doing that or something is how I would interpret it. Yeah, and that's I, the gist of what I got from the articles, like a support studio. Well, they were, they were remastering a game and they wanted to be fully over it. And then Naughty Dog came in and, and took the reins. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate. Which they did kind of used to be more of a support studio in a way. Maybe not support, but like, well, it's you know. it's standard to have these support studios in the industry now. I mean, we need support studios, like truly. Like, we would not mm-hmm. be able to ship AAA games at the level we ship them without support studios. There's just not enough, you know, manpower is what I'm trying to say in any individual studio to ship a game because they don't want to keep massive teams around because there's kind Mm -hmm. of like this expansion and collapse of game development where, you know, you have to spend a long time writing the story, building the base design, designing the levels, like, especially for VFX, we come in like right at the end. Like we Mm -hmm. have to have lighting done. We have to have all these other departments like have already done their job and then we come in. So you don't want this massive VFX team not really doing much for, you know, two years, three years where you're building the base game. So the way they get around that is they have multiple teams that, you know, flex in and out. I mean, like like mm-hmm. Cold War was an even better example. I mean, I, we, we wouldn't have shipped that game without IW, without Sledgehammer, without Raven, without Vicarious Visions, with... Like it was pretty much every studio under the Activision umbrella did something, contributed in mm-hmm. some way. Um, that, that's that's just the reality of AAA development today. Like if people can help, then they get flexed into help. There there are ego issues though. Um, well, I shouldn't say ego issues, but just you know, some studios do take it as a slight, uh, and and it's it, it's unfortunate. And you had to deal with that at Activision then. Like it was sometimes taken as a slight when they would ask. Another one to come in and help, you know, Treyarch or something, which you were Absolutely. For. I mean, we had the huge, like, Schreier reported on the, the whole uh, Sledge debacle. And, and Sledge, you can look at, like, how many people left when they didn't ship that game. I mean, it's it's not rare in this industry to have people, you know, freak out over this. But there is some reasoning, too, because things like bonuses can be tied mm. to who ships the game. You know, like, like if you're a support studio, you may not get any bonus. And when you say support studio, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not even meaning like lesser. You're just no. meaning one studio is in charge of this game, but they're bringing in Infinity Ward to help. And no one would call Infinity Ward a secondary studio no, at Activision. not. I mean, like, like this other studio just has artists that aren't really, you know, maybe, maybe they're in between development and they don't really know that they need Jeeps or something. So they mm-hmm. have an entire vehicle team that's like, Hey, we can make your vehicles. 
you know, and, and you flex those in and, and, and use their assets. It's, an, it's in no way a secondary relationship. And that's why I, I hate to see it painted that way. Like really, and even non like, like non support studios, even like contractor, like we contract entire studios. Now there's entire studios based out of like Austin, Texas, that mm-hmm. all they do is they contract, you know, game art services, maybe some game design services, tech art services, like, and that's the, the, that's what they are. They're just contractors that help flex in and out. They're like a, a support studio that you can rent. I mean, and and we would again those a lot of those places are super successful, and it's because we need them. If I'm not misinterpreting what you're saying, I think what you're suggesting though is that per, that oftentimes when someone when a studio is asked to help another studio by the people in charge that oftentimes it's taken as a slight that they were asked to help with that definitely yeah it can be taken as like you weren't doing a good enough job Mm -hmm. you know which but that's not always what it means that it actually like again infinity war to help you with black uh with cold war then yeah yeah exactly i mean it's it's, it comes down to size like Mm -hmm. if if you know the publisher is like hey this game is fucking huge uh we we want to ship it this year is it really realistic you guys are going to ship this year? Mm-hmm. It's not? Okay, well then we're going to have to put another studio here instead. Like, it's it, it just kind of happens. I mean, you can argue like the same thing happened with Cold War. I mean, they weren't going to, you know, the, the studio that was meant to ship that game wasn't going to be able to ship it in the time frame that Activision wanted to ship it. So instead, you know, they brought in other people to help. And that's what we did. I think... One thing that made the story from Jason Schreier, though, kind of stick as, you know, in the way he tried to, or I shouldn't say try, but the way he portrayed it, yeah. um, is that they were brought in not to help finish, say, I don't know, as an example, right? Like whatever their next game is after Uncharted or like a Last of Us 3, but they were brought in allegedly, and, and I don't know, and you know, and I'm not asking, but like to work on some... I'm not making statements for Sony either, because I don't know enough about the situation, but... Just from my Nor experience, anyone. like yeah, yeah, but they but they were asked to bring in supposedly to work on a Last of Us remaster, which would be the second time the first one's remastered. If that's true, yeah. I mean, you you do you think maybe that's why they took it as a slight though, because they weren't being asked to come in quickly to work on Last of Us Three. They're like, hey, we're remastering this game again. Yeah, yeah, and and a Last of Us run remaster. That's that's very doable. It's a really good mm-hmm. test, right? So like. I don't want to say it's like a, like a test test, but we you kind of see this with Activision too. They've handed um, I, I can't remember the name of, of the exact studio, but they did the remaster for a oh, Binox, a uh, remastered Modern Warfare Two, and mm-hmm. they did a good job. And now they they got more funding from Activision, and they're working on better stuff. And that's 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 kind of like like these publishers I've noticed in my history of working. You know, and and just being involved with this industry, the the publishers like to test waters with studios because it's really hard to find good talent. Like tons of people like to think that we're very replaceable, but uh, it's really difficult to find those devs that are amazing and can actually ship a game consistently. It's a, it is actually a, a rarity to see that. And it should well, be so, you, so you're suggesting maybe Sony chose Bend, if this is true again, mm-hmm. right, to work on a Last of Us One remaster because they had confidence that they would actually ship it very quickly and they wanted it by a certain time. I mean, I, I wouldn't say for sure that they wanted it by a certain time or they knew they'd ship it quickly, but definitely as like a as a way to say like we we believe that you can ship this game. 
Right. But you did say the word test. So you might see why they take that as a slight after they've made days gone. And they're like, are we done being tested, though? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it gets it gets complicated, though, like mainly. And this is really where it gets kind of dumb is uh, Metacritic scores really, really Mm. matter. Um, Not a lot of people realize that. But like if you get a bad Metacritic score, the your publisher is talking to you about that. If you, if you, if we got below, I, I didn't, I didn't get a bonus from God, <laughs> but <laughs> I know the rules because I talk to people. Um, if we got below like an 80, that started impacting your mm-hmm. bonus. Well, and infamously, right. It was a uh, fallout new Vegas got an 84. And so they, no one at that studio supposedly got the bonus they wanted because it wasn't an 85. They will do that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that, I, I, that can be soul crushing. I mean, that can kill morale. Moving the, the conversation forward then again, <laughs> Brian Heemskirk, who was an artist who was on the previous guest episode, asked, how much collaboration is there between Sony Game Studios and sharing tech? Like, does Gorilla have access to a system Santa Monica or Naughty Dog creates directly? And I, I suppose this also is probably a good question for Activision as well. Yeah, I mean, kind of is the way that that I would explain it. We We kind of share things. We share things that can be shared. It can be kind of difficult, though, to know exactly what another studio is doing at all times. Like... Uh, maybe maybe we have uh, really good talks with director level people. I'm not positive about that, mm-hmm. but you know, I, I don't know everything that Naughty Dog is doing. I know they have some really cool stuff, but I, I don't know everything they do. I know that when we see things, when it, usually what will happen is like an art director will see something and like a Naughty Dog game, and they'll be like, "Hey, how'd you guys do that? We 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 need this in mm-hmm. our game." But usually it's coming from like an art director or someone high up that's like, hey, I, I play all of our portfolio within Sony. I know you, we have this tech. Let's get, let's get it implemented. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not super open, but it's mainly just because of time. Like, you don't really have someone dedicated to that. Maybe they do. They might have, like, central tech on it. I know Activision has central tech for that exact reason. I think Gorilla is kind of central tech, and Naughty Dog kind of was in the past. I don't, I don't remember off yeah. the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're both stellar studios, honestly. I mean, a lot of studios try to replicate Gorilla. So whether you're even working in Sony or not, there's a, there's a, a studio looking at what Gorilla's doing and going like, okay, how do we do that here? <laughs> well, and yeah, and from what I've heard, too, between specifically like Gorilla and Naughty Dogs, it's kind of like, all right, the new Kill Zone's out. It looks pretty good, but we're going to... Just you wait for the next Uncharted or something. They're always going back it's and forth. It's hyper competitive. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's across AAA in general. I mean, we we don't like to be outdone. We want to be the best. You know, it's it is a very competitive industry. There are awards, and we we I I want to win awards every year. You know, every game we ship, I want that thing to win awards. I want it to be the hottest thing ever. Because like, I mean, as a game dev, we we aren't you know like as you were saying like earlier with like actors and stuff. Like actors are mm-hmm. front and center. But as a game mm. dev, you don't really get like the as much of like the coolness of like, hey, I made all this stuff in this game, and then I play the game and I see all my stuff because it's more like, hey, I made all this stuff. Oh god, what did I do there? That's that's a mistake. That's <laughs> so, so like your your main sense of relief yeah. comes from you know being recognized for doing good work. That's it means because it can always be better, right? That's kind of what you're saying in a way that doesn't really apply to movies. Exactly. Yeah. So the next thing I want to ask you then is I want to start a discussion on cross-gen games because, I mean, specifically, I think with like the Xbox and PlayStation thing going on now, this has become one of those, what do I want to call it, uh, fanboy hockey pucks (laughs) that they keep going back and forth because 
I think, you know, Mark Cerny came out and he's like, we believe in generations. We believe in, you know, moving into a next gen. That's why our SSD is so ambitious. And then you have Microsoft where Halo Infinite's running on a 1.3 teraflop base Xbox One. And yet now we're getting to this situation where so many PlayStation games seem to still be launching on PS4. I mean, God of War is now coming out in 2022. So into 2022, two years after the next gen's launched, we're getting base PS4 operating games. Do you believe that will? To what degree does that affect the development of the PS5 version when you know it also has to be running at a reasonable rate, uh, you know, running reasonably on the previous gen? Well, I can't confirm the game we're working on or when it ships, but I will say that for the game we're working on, it's it, it's really coming down to what the new hardware has, right? And what the new hardware has is it has a better GPU and a better CPU, which allows us to do things that, you know, like when you go into Unreal and you play with, you know, Tessellation, for example, like you just have Tessellation available and you don't really come to appreciate that they that option is very expensive. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, for like one thing I have seen recently implemented in our engine is like better Tessellation for PS5 versus PS4. And that little thing can really make things look better. Uh, you know, like your meshes look smoother. They, you, you see less uh, pixelation, which always is a bonus. Um, on top of that, it's it's mainly being able to like load in textures. Like we we've had this issue in game dev for for a really long time with uh, hard drives, and it's kind of funny that we like skipped a generation straight to NVMe because oh, I know. we didn't yeah. ever hit SSD. Right, we talk about it like the CPU is like 10 times stronger. The GPU is like, I don't know, right? It's yeah. up for debate because it's entirely different architectures, but like maybe, you know, Ford is eight times stronger depending on how you look like at it. untapped stuff too. And like like there's there's things that uh, AMD has put in there that we don't really know how to fully use yet. Like they're putting out their, um, their competitor to, to NVIDIA's DLSS. I can't remember the name of it right now. FSR. Yeah, FSR. Yeah, so they have like FSR now and that, that wasn't initially announced, right? Like there's, so I, I think there's going to be new things continuously coming out just like every other console. It's We're only going to get better with that hardware right now. But the SSD is a hundred times better, right? Oh that's God. kind of what I was getting to. Yeah, like, that's why it's so funny. It's like, I know, right, if you look at previous generations, like the Xbox One X was like leagues stronger than the 360 and yeah. so on and so forth. But the this generation, some people are like, well, the CPU is better. The GPU is only four times better. Yes, but the SSD is a hundred times better. This is like a PS1 to PS2 level increase in a spec. And you look at the SSD, like you yeah. said, you didn't just skip a generation. I would say you almost got skipped two. Yeah, we drove the, new tech. Like, mm-hmm. like realistically speaking, like there's new uh, like controllers that were designed specifically for consoles <laughs> to, to mm-hmm. reach fees before anyone else. Uh, I'm sure like that tech will inevitably hit PCs. Is I think it already is. Like I, I, I have some uh, PCIe four ones from Rocket. I think the Sabrents. Yeah, yeah, the Sabrents are supposed to be like close. I have the same one. Yeah, yeah. So, so. You know, but to have that in uh, like an average person's console is crazy. Um, usually, usually you get, you know, not necessarily older hardware, but you don't get like top of the line stuff in a console. <laughs> yeah, that is top of the line, <laughs> like to a ridiculous extent. Um, and it's, it's great for, for uh, textures because they didn't increase our, our memory. So what we have to do is we have to hot load in and out textures better 
than last gen to make stuff look, you know, 4K to make it look better because we can't just up-res textures without more memory. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we have to up-res textures and hope that, you know, the, the streaming works really well. And it, and it has been, but it, it is funny uh, early on in the PS5, like when I saw some of Cyberpunk streaming issues, uh, because we were working on Cold War at the same time, I was like, ah, mm-hmm. they're getting it too. <laughs> like, like so as I was saying, things are getting better. It's there's, you know, if you see a bug in a game, yeah, I guess that's another point. Like, don't always think it's just the developer. Like, it might be something weird with the hardware that is still being flushed mm-hmm. out. It's all it's all new stuff. We got to give it some time. I, I guess you probably can't talk about it, but like what I want to ask is like when God of War was conceived, is there anything that was like it was for PS5 first or did it kind of start as a PS4 game and then move to PS5? Like where at what point will last gen games, you know, like hold back next gen? Because they some of them will, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I don't think last gen, I don't think it's fair to say last gen will hold back next gen right now because I mean, shit, like this game was started development after God of War, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they didn't just not do anything for four years. I mean, the the game that they're working on now started right after the last game. <laughs> so of course it was going to be focused on PS4 because that's what they had. Um, but when it, when it comes to moving to the next gen, usually that comes like two years after the launch of a console where it comes, uh, you know, consistent because so many games just take so long to make. I mean, there are very few games that are made in a year that you want to play. Say it that way. Like they, they don't release an Assassin's Creed game every year now for, for a reason. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're not, and I'm not sure who would, because when I ask different types of people who work on these games, their answer to what would hold back a next gen version is entirely different. At least at AAA, I think that might be a difference. Um, if you, if you don't have the resources, like in AAA, we we have people that are ensuring that stuff looks great on a PS5 and that we're using all that hardware. I mean. Mm-hmm. Like we also have that for the PS4. I, I, I trust those guys fully. I I wouldn't think that they're going to leave anything on the table. Personally, I guess the the th- the next thing someone might say though is, okay, but so then is the SSD revolutionary or not? Because you because it is it on is in paper. A ton of ways, honestly. Like even like I love it as a game dev. Is it? But is it more about actually enhancing the graphics, or is it more about making it easy to make the game? Is what I'm starting it's, to wonder. It's really about. all of it. I mean. It does enhance the graphics, like I was saying. Um, directly, I know for VFX, it's a big thing because we have to be able to stream it. Well, most games are going to be streaming in like textures. And if you can't stream in textures quickly, like for an explosion, if you can't stream in your fires and your explosion, you're going to have like a like a four megapixel spray. Mm-hmm. It looks terrible. A lot of the freedom we have of streaming now, I mean, we didn't used to stream as much as we stream because we knew that we couldn't rely on a hard drive to stream these textures. But now mm-hmm. we stream more things than we've ever streamed because we know that the, the, the SSD can actually stream that stuff in and it'll look good by the time the, the, it gets full screen or whatever, you know, where it's taking up enough pixels to matter, basically. Yeah. So here's an interesting question. I'm going to say Jan or Jan Benes asks, Hello, everyone. Besides proprietary things like the PS5 SSD, are there different approaches to optimizing games for AMD consoles versus AMD PCs with AMD GPUs and CPUs? And is it possible to optimize games for both AMD and NVIDIA hardware to get the most performance out of both? That's something I'm really curious about, too, especially with like at Activision, this cross-gen development where you're not only developing for multiple types of AMD hardware, but just wildly different NVIDIA hardware. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially at a company like Activision, 
Well, really in AAA in general, what, what we do is we set, we set a target console or a, a target, you know, machine. Do we want to build this for PC? Do we want to build this for PS4, for PS5, for Xbox One? You know, we, we, we set the hardware that we want to start out on, and then we make sure that all devs are testing primarily on that hardware to ensure that things are optimized, that they're looking great, and that, you know, it's, it's shippable. Um, beyond that, well, and, and typically in AAA, basically we're, what we're going to end up doing is we're, we're going to choose either the Xbox or the PlayStation. And PlayStation mm-hmm. has the you know the majority of the market share. So where do you think people are going to be? You know, which one do you think developers are going to choose? Basically, and really, if it can run on a PlayStation, it can probably run on a play, on a PC. Generally speaking, but what you'll usually have, and, and I think even with like the latest Resident Evil games, they're not even even those like aren't. You know, ported to PC by the by Cap. I think Capcom makes resident for it. God, that sounds terrible. Um, but but typically, basically, you're going to have someone else port the PC version. PC mm-hmm. games aren't aren't really seen as a priority to like dual develop because you don't have to do that. I don't want to say you don't have to do that much to port, but like it's the game's already built, so you just have to make it run on a, a PC, which can be very intensive. But hopefully, it's not. Hopefully the the uh, game is still in such a way where it can be reproduced on PC pretty pretty easily. But so I guess what you're saying is the initial team has the target device and then they just develop for that and that it's usually support studios that were making it work on PC. Exactly. In your experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't really... Like, developing a game three times is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, you, you, of course, have to... We have so much testing in AAA now. Like, if a bug gets through... You found like one in a million, and that's not even like a negative. Like that's like literally so many are found in development. So mm-hmm. you found the one that squeaked through, um, and part of that de- part of that testing is performance, ensuring the game is reaching the frame the frames that we want, um, ensuring it looks good, uh, that there aren't like pop in issues or weird graphical hangups that can occur because of optimization errors in someone else's um, you know either effects or models or whatever. Like there's there's lots of little things that can affect a scene, and we tend to find those. Um, they tend to be tested out, basically. So, I'm curious then if you were in charge on enhancing like the performance of the PlayStation Five, and now it's a six hundred dollar console, what would you do with the extra one hundred dollars? I mean, I, I would mainly put it just towards uh, memory. Honestly, I think I think that's going to be our. The biggest one for artists, for sure, is, you know, I'm an artist, so it's, of course, the first thing I'm going to think of is now I have more memory to add in. Not only, like, not only more textures, but more effects files, right? Like, we have to be careful about how big our file sizes get across all departments. Um, so maybe you don't add as many sprites into a into an effect as you could just because you're worried about, like, the actual text document that, it, that you, your system is saved as being too large, like... There's all these little these little things mm-hmm. that have to come in to make things fit. Um, so just having like more leeway, yeah, yeah it, it'd always be great. Let me ask you this though, because Brian, the last um, artist I had on, mm-hmm. brought, said uh, kind of had a contrarian opinion about RAM. Would adding so let's say we make it 32 gigabytes of RAM or something. Oh, dude, that'd be cool. Um, which, which yeah, your for everyone listening, his face just lit up like, yeah. oh my god, I'd be so lucky. Yeah. Um, would most of it if you were given a extra year to optimize, would the extra RAM actually make it look much better, or would it just make it way quicker to make we the game? We could use that today, man. Like we're literally facing over. Like it's part of my job is to optimize shit because uh, it's I'm more technical. I'm one of the more technical guys on the team. 
So like, yeah, part of part of our job right now is literally to optimize our texture footprint because it's too big. Like, so mm. so if you, if we had more memory, we'd, we'd literally just use it and it would already be eaten. Like it wouldn't mm. even exist for a second. Cause, cause like, you know, a designer would probably say the CPU. Mm-hmm. Um, because then they get more AI they get, they get more, you know, moves They get, you know, maybe smarter behavior trees or something like they get more, more, more toys for their department, but it doesn't really affect us too much. But, but in terms of like shipping a game with less memory from an art point of view, like all that would mean is we'd have to reduce complexity. No one, no one wants that anywhere. And it's not just like, you know, maybe instead of having three fireballs to choose from to make your explosions so they don't all look the mm-hmm. same, you only got one. It's also like instead of having five flowers, you have two. And that's across mm. the entire map. And you don't get more than those two flowers because oh, I see what you're resolution saying. Textures. Like when they fit, you know, the Witcher three on the Nintendo Switch, they probably reduced how many different types of fires can appear when you shoot a spell or something. That's really your and option. how many flowers or how the or how many trees they are. Maybe it's like, oh, let's just remove how many trees we can duplicate in the distance and it'll just yeah. be the same three trees at different angles. Literally. I mean it's it, you either reduce the amount of content or you reduce the quality of it. Because you could also just go in and down res everything by half. But especially on the Switch, I don't think the Switch's aliasing solution is known to be amazing. So that'd be well, dangerous. it's it's not exactly a very powerful console yeah. at launch, nor anymore. So yeah, I wouldn't trust its aliasing solution enough to to even think of down resing textures because you're just gonna get to push stuff. Push forward though, because I'm curious what your answer is to this. Okay, so let's say you gave it 32 gigabytes. Mm-hmm. Would you then give it 64 if you were given another hundred dollars? Or at what point would you add? Compute performance, CPU performance, or I don't know, double the size of the SSD. I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, I think doubling the size of the SSD is mainly like a consumer thing to make people happy. Yeah, um, it's not really going to. So that wouldn't be the next thing then much. for you. No, nah, yeah, like you can fit enough for me. Like if I, I'm not going to play, like I don't have enough time to play a ton of games a day. So mm-hmm. like realistically, I don't need every game in my library installed. I'm only going to play like one or two games a night, maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big deal. But I would say the next big thing would have to be the GPU. That's that, that's where mm-hmm. most bang for your buck is these days. I mean, everything that can be put on a GPU is being put on a GPU. Like mm-hmm. like it's they're they're you're, they're faster per dollar basically than anything else. Which is why you don't see you know graphics being rendered on a CPU anymore. Well, unless you're doing high end rendering. Like film. Right. Which, so I guess what I'm saying is, so you would increase it to 32 gigabytes if you could, but oh, after yeah. that, would you increase the GPU or no, would I, you? I GPU next. Yeah. I, th- I think 32 is like more than enough. Yeah. Like, like even 24 would be so nice or even 20. I mean, literally just like a gig <laughs> would add so much. It's, it's ridiculous how small the things uh, can, can really like, you know, these small things add up. So like one gig could be like literally like a hundred new textures across all the departments or more. So Mm -hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. It's interesting to think about. There's obviously some give and take there. And just if we're being honest, the realities of the design of the GPU kind of meant Sony had to go with either 16 or 32. Like, let's be honest, they couldn't really do anything in between. So that's another, well, at launch, that would have been like another 50 bucks, but now RAM prices are up. So it would have been like another 100 or more dollars if they doubled it, which I did hear they considered. 
Um, the Xbox, though, I know because they have segmented memory. They could have given they could have given it twenty two gigabytes. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. That's what surprised me, especially about the Xbox, is they made this super modular, you know, device, and they didn't do anything. The modular, it, yeah. I, I won't say they didn't do anything, but there are things they could have done. But I'm sure they will, right? Like this is the mm-hmm. first wave. I'm sure. I think like Scarlet or, or the the second generation consoles for the, like the intergeneration. Only came out mm-hmm. like two years after the first launch, if I'm remembering right. Well, for the for PlayStation, it was three years. Three for years. Xbox, it was four years. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. So, so maybe I'm just thinking of the, of the PlayStation Pro. And yeah, like I'm sure there will be a better console at some point, probably like four years from now. Which seems to be the mm, new. Norm. It's going to be sooner than that. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is why I watch your content, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't done the video. I, I haven't done the video yet, but just for everyone listening. It, no, it's probably 23, but uh, yeah, let's move I on to a reader mail here. Air <laughs> uh, Rats writes in, Hi, game dev guest. I've been, well, his name's, your name's Chris. So, I mean, come on, Air Rats. But <laughs> says, I've been gaming since the SNES, and I've seen massive innovation in certain aspects of games. Well, others feel largely stagnant to me. Hardware is shot through the roof in terms of power, but I rarely see it used besides improving graphics or scale, bigger, prettier open worlds that don't feel really any more alive most of the time. My guess is that game devs try to do the same things better and bigger, but often don't implement entirely new features or unprecedented systems. My favorite example to the contrary of what I'm saying right now is when Joseph Qualls helped Monolith implement a version of MIT's Strips computer planning into fear to create goal-oriented object planning, which controlled the enemy AI. But that was back in 2005. Most games still use behavior trees now. I usually just see better graphics and bigger maps here. What massive improvements that are non-visual could you see or want to see in games that you just don't see being worked on right now? And why aren't they being worked on? I mean, I think really, like, if you want to get a, 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 a t- like a taste of next-gen engines and what's going to be around the corner, like, you have to load mm-hmm. up uh, Unreal 5. And like when you load that up, man, it's like like uh, a lumen in the water. I have, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Like I can't complain about like the 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 models at all. Everything looks so photoreal. But I started working on effects in that engine the other day, and I was like, oh, like like I would say effects are probably the thing that we're we're kind of becoming like left behind the most because um, mm-hmm. you can't really do like. There are people trying to get, you know, they've been trying to get simulations working in engines forever. They've had like NVIDIA Flex forever, right? Like these solutions for uh, Navier Stokes have existed for like 20 years, I think, since NVIDIA initially wrote GPU gems. So it's like like we, we have kind of the knowledge to, but we still haven't gotten the, the, the computing performance to have like real explosions, like a real uh, simulated explosion. We, keep, mm-hmm. yeah, we we still fake that. So Versus just like a pre-baked like picture, basically, well, or video. So we do. We just pre-bake everything. So like we can't really respond to lighting super well. We can we can try to fake it. Like EA has light mapping, which I love that tech. And it's like it reads like the sun direction, and you render out a flipbook from that sun's direction, and that allows you to like reproduce as a, as though the explosion was being lit by that sun. That's not very common tech, though. In a lot of places, we just have to choose like the best direction to light our, our volumetric sims and just hope it looks good. <laughs> and typically it does, but then you load it into Nanite and it's like, oh, man, 
Because everything else looks so Everything good. else looks so good, though. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, now this is catching my eye. And that's the hardest thing about VFX, because you, you don't want stuff to catch your eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, it's going to be an interesting... I'm going to be interested in the solutions we have to start coming up with to make that stuff look good. Because it's like you were saying earlier, like you can't have one part of the game... Yeah, significantly look different from the rest. Where it's like, damn, like this game looks so good, other than the VFX. (laughs) Well, yeah, and I think the classic example to kind of bring everyone into what we're discussing that I I think people see in a lot of games to this day is just why am I walking down this hallway and this looks so good, and then what the heck is that texture over there that looks like it's straight out of a Nintendo sixty four? Like, how did that make it to the final build? Like, couldn't you have not dumb down everything here slightly so you don't have that. Yeah. Going back to Unreal Engine 5, which I I, I do have um, on my system, and I jumped into one of their recent demos, and it, it was kind of hilarious because you're right, the mega scans of the rocks look just absurd, and the lighting look absurdly good, and then you get to some of the smoke, and you're like, hmm, that does not look as good. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say those are right, because, I mean, Epic has great artists, but... Um... There's very few artists that can really do that kind of stuff extremely well, because there are things that we can do to trick lighting um, to make the scene look better no matter what. But yeah, it's it is noticeable and it's unfortunate. Well, now they know the next thing they need to work on though for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what's exciting. Like I was saying about the new hardware. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll find because right, like the big thing behind that that tech is hardware. It's like hardware that can mm-hmm. now do that. So maybe they're similar workflows that we can use to fake a volumetric sim who knows i mean there are all like i said there are there's always these new tools but the only issue is making them like run well like can, can it can you do this awesome looking visual effect like you know render a full volumetric sim that's like dynamic and responds to the environment and play the game can you do both yeah. <laughs> so far it's a no you can you can do one or you can do the other and that's too bad but maybe, maybe it'll improve. So one that comes to mind for me that I don't feel is as much of an issue as it used to, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering if you'll be, be sympathetic to what I'm saying here. At least last gen, and especially on the 360 generation, fire always looked so much worse than everything else around you. Like you just see this fire come out in some games and you're like, what the was noise. that Spyro JPEG? It's just, what it's the just heck was that? A lot of the time, they just use like a sphere mask and noise. It was super cheap, is what it was. Because it, was, it, was, mm-hmm. it came down to texture memory. You could use a, like a 512 by 512 texture of just noise and pan it and scroll it or, you know, just scroll that across a, a, a thing and, you know, you, you scroll another thing and then it kind of looks like wavy, like a fire. <laughs> and that's what you saw. Like, you still see that. Like, if you if you load up Unreal stock fi- uh, fires for their engine, that's what they're using because it was just never updated. Um, but yeah, now it's like, if you want to make good looking fire, I mean, honestly, for VFX specifically, there's a good chance if you're working in AAA and you have fires, that Alan McKay was somehow involved. Just mm-hmm. like, God love him. Like, I don't know. Like, like that's like the goal for me right now is to reach that point. <laughs> <laughs> where, his where there's something like you've made and it's like but they use it everywhere yeah 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 it's it, it's crazy the the footprint that guy's had just like literally people just hire him for fires like it's it, it's insane 
Yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, AC666 writes in, and he says, Hey, Chris, I got to thank you and the team for the great visuals in COD Cold War. Black Ops 4 just felt too cartoonish for my taste. I heard rumors that had something to do with the blackout mode or something, but so I guess this leads me to my question, though. How does hardware and game engine limitations affect the art direction in a game's development? Yeah, I wouldn't really say it does uh, at all. It could be fun as a as an artist, no matter what department you're in, um, because you'll get a director who sees something great in like a film or in a cutscene in a game. And they're like, we want this in this like live sequence where you're fighting the boss. Like, can it look this good? And so you know, you're you're tasked with making it look that good, and you know, you're kind of judged based on how good you can do that. And you don't always have the best tools. That's why it's important to know hacks and it's important to know it's important to have a good leader who can be like yo here's a really weird thing that i know that you probably don't know because it's so freaking rare that this type of thing comes up but here's a tip and, and it's important to have those people i mean yeah yeah but, but in terms of limitations like the limitations come down to what we limit ourselves to as artists like i know there are some things that we cannot do no matter what and mm. I make that very clear right off the bat. Like, you know, again, like uh, transparency can be a big one. And uh, especially very junior designers, the first thing they'll say is like, this boss spawns in and fog fills everywhere. It's like, <laughs> you, you can't do that, buddy. <laughs> like you can have a lot of fog, but you can't fill everywhere because you're just going to nosedive the FPS to like five because <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. transparency. Sorting. Well, Bloodborne did that a lot. And it did have a lot of foggy boss intros, actually, now that I think about it. But they they even, they 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 cheated, you know, with it, where, you know, you're kind of on rails usually throughout those portions. Mm-hmm. So, like, you weren't in danger. But, like, oh, man, I mean. Right. Yeah, you, you, you never want to submit something, like, for live gameplay that tanks the frame rate super bad. Because not, not, you will hear about it. That's not shipping. Mm-hmm. Like. And and it won't be a good conversation, typically. <laughs> it's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> well, to come at AC666 question from another angle, I think when you go, as an example, mm-hmm. to contrast, I think Nintendo 64 games have yeah. aged in their graphics way better than the PS1. Now, part of that's just they used cartridges, so they were limited to how much space they had, so they couldn't even attempt realistic graphics. But the PS1 also had like unlimited storage, but yeah. a weaker graphics card, a lot weaker graphics card. And so, I mean, I don't know if you've played a first-person shooter from the PS1, but it looks pretty rough. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, the N64s didn't age as badly. They still look a little rough, but they, they just don't look, they don't look nearly, you know, and, and because they're more solid colors and those just age better. And another example that comes up is like Metal Gear Solid 2. Like that game looks fine now. It just, because it, it said, hey, we're going to put these objects, we can do these objects well, we're going to make everything solid colors that we can. And that game actually ran at 60 frames back then too, which is crazy. And again, I can keep bringing up Metal Gear Solid because they have this thing with grass where they don't try to put a million blades of grass. They look a little cartoony, but they're big blades of grass that don't look bad now. Whereas again, if you go and play even, it was so impressive when it first came out, Call of Duty 4 is all geelied up. Mm-hmm. The grass looks a little rough now. I remember how mind blowing it looked at the time. Like, how much of like the hardware limits art direction in that way, or is it really just it happens? It wasn't planned ahead of time. Is kind of what you're saying. I mean, mainly it's just like, like as you alluded to when you're talking about like Metal Gear, uh, Metal Gear Solid. Like, it usually comes down to the team. Like, 
you know, if an art director really has a vision for something, that team will make mm-hmm. it happen. Especially at AAA, like it's literally your job to make these things happen. Um, that's when you start inventing new techniques. You start making things really janky, really hacky, but they run. Um, so yeah, like like I, I wouldn't really say that we ever really give up, or we really, you know, we we may, and and I guess it's like how do you define a goal, right? Like you you may not perfectly recreate something, but you're always like chipping away at it. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe the first you know ten hours you put on recreating Dormammu, right from uh, Marvel, like like you look at those effects, they're super complex, they're super deep. Maybe that first pass doesn't reach that same level because you know we don't have all the tech for the completed game yet. So maybe later you come back because we have new tech and you improve it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get some notes of like someone's like, hey, you know, we're kind of missing this element that I think would really help. You know, and you add that in, maybe you get a new texture that some kick-ass artist made and you throw that in, like, like these things are always evolving and you're always just trying to get as close as you can, but there is an acceptance that you're probably not going to be perfect. You know, Mm. it's, it's always just trying to make it as, you know, amazing as you can at the end of the day. So it's usually just on the art director and the art director's understanding of what the hardware is capable of, which I feel Kojima always had a perfect understanding of what it was capable of and never pushed it. You know, he's like, we can do this really well and we're going to do just this. (laughs) I I would say he's like most art directors that I've, that I've worked with. I mean, they're more pushy because they see like, like they see something in movies and and they just want it. And that Mm -hmm. pushiness isn't always like it's, I'm not even saying that is a bad thing. Like it can be, it it can come across as bad, but it's really not like, that's how you get really cool innovations is someone's like, we can't do this. Well, let's make it fucking possible to do this. Come on guys. Mm -hmm. Like we have a whole team of engineers here. What the hell? (laughs) And that's how you get crazy GDC talks and interest like uh, control control. For example, has uh, 2d fluid Sims running as a post effect. Like, mm-hmm. like like that kind of art direction, I mean, that wasn't doable before the team made all that tech. But some art director, I'm sure, was like, no, we are doing this. We need it. Exactly. Yeah. This is our fucking game. Let's do it. And they did it. How much... So, uh, I, the next thing was about, like, delays, but I want to just put it this way. Like, why do you think so many games get delayed? And how much of it is... Because I think there's this assumption almost now, because of how often it happens, that people announce a release date and they expect it to be delayed and they just said that to create buzz. Like, do you, is that your experience that does happen sometimes? How how often is it like they're just like, oh, hopefully we can launch then so much as they actually thought it did and then it actually did just get delayed. But again, you, you understand yeah. from an outsider looking in, like every game gets delayed. So how can you guys claim you being people working in the industry, all, you know, millions of you. You're speaking for all of them now. That's but yeah, to, like... To wait. If you announce too early, as you're saying, they can create issues. But usually it's not like the devs that are making those choices. It's like prod. It's production, right? Like, they're, they're the ones saying, like, hey, this artist only needs another week on this AI, and then it's done. It's put to bed. Mm-hmm. It'll never be touched again. And then some art director sees something, and they're like, oh, the hell? So then it adds two days mm-hmm. and then you just keep doing that ad nauseum. And yeah, eventually it goes a month beyond and you have to announce it because you're not going to be able to pull back that month. Um, but it really, it really gets weird. Cause like, like, like I was saying, like so many things can come into play that make this dynamic. Like, you know, maybe a support studio can't support you anymore. 
right? Like, uh, we, we kind of had that with uh, Cold War. I mean, we had some studios that we expected to support us longer, but they needed to go and work on new projects because mm. Activision's like, hey, you're doing great. Go work on this shit now. Um, so we had to make up that slack. <laughs> and that adds time, unfortunately. So yeah, I'd, I would just say that, you know, first of all, never blame devs because we have no control over this at all. Uh, they will ship a game regardless of what we think. <laughs> Realistically. <laughs> um, yeah, we've seen this before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you can be very I, like, because Cold War is, I mean, I look at that game now. It looks amazing compared to where it started from. Like when we first shifted, mm-hmm. I was like, God damn it. Maybe if we just waited another month or two, things would have looked a little bit better. And like these criticisms that we're getting right off the bat wouldn't have been heard. But, you know, corporate being who they were and proud being who they were, they're like, it's ready to ship. We're going to ship. So we shipped. Mm-hmm. That's that's just kind of the way it works as a dev. You know, you just do your best and you make things look as good as you can and you roll with it at the end of the day. Your answer kind of is, number one, when they say a release date at least that was their best estimate and you know it wasn't yeah, like yeah, they're not oh these, we think it's going to... they're not pulling these dates out of a hat mm-hmm. like like they they feel confident that they will ship on this day and then something happens so travis gooding writes in he says hey tom and chris thanks for coming on the show how has work shifted from office to work from home? What have been the biggest challenges, workflow issues that you've had to deal with? Some games have a year plus delays now. What do you think is the single biggest factor for that? Is it work from home? And does Sony produce equipment tool stipends for you guys to have adequate workspace and well, <laughs> and equipment at home due to COVID? Thanks for your hard work you put into these games. Looking forward to experiencing Fimble Winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean i would say covid definitely did have an impact it's not just like the obvious stuff either though i mean you might think like well we can't work in the office anymore so there's there was like this transition period and there was a transition period where you can be like okay like a month of work was kind of flushed down the drain realistically speaking mm-hmm. as everyone got used. that happened to everyone Ex- exactly yeah. Yeah, it just kind of happened um across the board uh but there's also like all this little stuff too right like Maybe someone's loved one died and, you know, they, they weren't as productive as they could be because they couldn't, you know, get past that mental barrier a little bit. Like there's there's all these little things that we tend to that they aren't exactly obvious that could affect mm-hmm. someone's performance and slow down a game's development. And because of work from home. Well, just because of COVID in, in general. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I right. Think, oh, and COVID in general. Yeah, right. I think work from home in general has been great for the industry. I mean. In terms of like overall productivity, it's everything I've seen is like it's like way better because like uh, in some some this is kind of the the fun thing in this industry right now that I'm like playing with in terms of like do I rely on work from home or do I plan on going back to an office at, at some point? Um, I'm sure many other tech workers are in the same um, same predicament, uh, but you know you know we 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 work really well. Uh, there hasn't really been anything that have shown that we were less productive and really like there's a lot of like fun stuff in tech companies that kind of goes under the under the curtain. Like, you know, maybe, you know, you talk to a coworker because like we're all, you know, pretty friendly and mm-hmm. then like you just do that for an hour one day by accident. Like, you know, I also I mean, that, that happened doesn't... a lot when I worked at General Motors. Yeah. Or, oh, I mean, no, I was always perfectly productive at work. I'm, exactly. I, no. Yeah. Like, like in those, con- but those conversations are important too. And that's kind of the right. But like sometimes, it. though, doesn't that help 
exactly. you work though, because because I can speak for myself. I feel like well, obviously now I always work from home, mm-hmm. but I found that when I started before the pandemic, I actually started working from home as an account manager just because I was put close to clients, right? So they, they moved me out to a different city from the headquarters to be able to talk to clients a lot in the uh, Peoria region. And, you know, so I was already used to that, but I did find that I would be more productive even working from home if I visited the office once a month because that you get an energy though from the office, don't you think? Do you think it has been overall productive or is is there going to be more of a slowdown over time, do you think, if people don't sometimes start going back into the office? I don't, I mean, people do go back into the office still, like uh, leads and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, because the, the higher ups do have to still work together. Um, mm-hmm. No, I don't think, I, I think the benefits kind of outweigh the negatives, I guess, is the way I view it, where it's like, yeah, there are some negatives. And you, as you said, like maybe we would be better if we spent, you know, one day a month in an office. But there's so many benefits to people's like lives. Like, like I hear constantly people are like, oh, yeah, like my mental state is like so much better now because I get to like mm. be with my kids, like all these issues, um, especially in game dev, like with like marriages and stuff where it's like, right. I can't see my of how much effort's required to ship yeah, a game. Yeah, like, like I'm working like 14 hour days. I never get to see my kids. I never get to see my wife. Like in a lot of ways, work from home was like, hey, you can actually be at least slightly a part of your kid's life. <laughs> and still during during done. the during the month before you ship a game yeah because like, you can use like your lunch you can use your dinner like time like like there's you know like you you don't have to commute so there's all these little time savings that i think they really add up to making people happier um i'm i'm like simple like i could probably go back to the office and it wouldn't really affect me much but i don't have like a complex life you know i don't, I don't mm-hmm. have kids and a family and you know, I don't live like three miles out or, you know, like th- three miles in L.A. is like three hours. Yeah, I was going to say, for those wondering, three, <laughs> yeah. three miles in Nashville would be a very short commute, but in L.A. maybe not. No, no, no. If you get stuck on the freeway, good luck. Um, but there's some people that, you know, they have to live super far out to afford a house. So, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, those people, I think, are the ones who are the most senior. They're the ones who probably carry the most weight, in all honesty, uh, for just being fair here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and they're the ones who really kind of needed this. And so I, I'm happy to see where it takes us. I hope, I hope for those guys, you know, they just get, they get that happiness that, you know, they, they deserve, honestly. You know, it's interesting you bring up the month going down the drain thing, though, because yeah. I think everyone felt that. Um, for I think the company I work for, luckily, already had pretty good remote working tech ahead of time. And so it didn't affect us. I think it really only wasted about a week. Mm-hmm. But I know more other companies where it was more. Do you think that, because it's almost a surprise, everyone kind of expected the PS5 and the Xbox Series X, a lot of those games, yeah. to be delayed um, from 2020. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, you lost a month, but then everyone went back to work at home and then they were more productive and that is why things got done on time. Oh yeah. It's, it's just an interesting question I'm thinking of, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that once we did start and you definitely felt that once we did start getting things in gear. Yeah. We, we, uh, it was full production. I mean, I know at least for cold war, like they were not playing around. They're like, we have to ship this game this year. We know mm-hmm. what state the game is at. Like if you look at black ops four and then you realize we spent a year on DLC Right, like we didn't go straight from Black Ops 4 to Cold War. Mm. We spent a year on DLC. So like we built that game in a year. And from the from the Black Ops 4 engine, like if you look at those two games, they do not look like a game a year apart. 
You know what I mean? So like, yeah, like, like we were definitely, we knew, we knew that we had that um, kind of weight on our shoulders that we had to get this thing out, that it had to look great. And, and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Cause do, I think that happened a lot right in 2020 yeah. as well. There was, you lost that initial month of work, but yeah. then also you started to become more productive from home. And then also, I think I'm just gonna be honest. You're like, eh, some people have it worse than me. Oh yeah. I better make sure I pull my weight yeah. at this season because we have to deliver because it's been a rough year so we have to deliver yeah and they're, they're not gonna let you not do anything i've never had a day where it was like just play the game bro no there's never <laughs> a thing it's like if you get something done you get the hand of the next thing and it's also like it's it's kind of competitive as an artist right like mm-hmm. you kind of you kind of want to get the cool shit and they don't give the cool shit to the artist that only gets like one thing done a month right mm-hmm. like that artist is going to get the kind of simple stuff that still needs done Still needs to look good, but you know maybe it doesn't need the, the the known better quantities. So like mm-hmm. I, I always work my ass off just so I can get the coolest uh, stuff to work on. Make the coolest explosion. Yeah, yeah, or just get the coolest <laughs> AI. Like some of the AI I'm getting, man, mm, they're dope. So <laughs> you mean like enemy AI in a game? Yeah, yeah, like bosses and stuff that you get to fight against as a player. Like you know they have attacks, and we have to we're in charge of all that. So. so you're saying the AI in something you're working on may be very <laughs> impressive. Oh, there's, there's tons of AI, man. I mean, it's a it's a big game, you know. All all these games are. I don't think any game ships with it. Like, well, other than Ratchet and Clank, didn't have that many AI, and that's like the only complaint that I've heard about it. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah all games have to have tons of AI that look great these days to to be competitive. And the more. Uh, Ooh, that one guy writes in and he says, hey, guys, I recently had a conversation about marketing approaches by different gaming brands and what they announce ahead of release to create hype. For me, building hype is something very confusing from a developer's perspective. I understand that early marketing will get you more units sold on day one, possibly by reaching as many people as possible as soon as possible, but it can also hurt the game. Cyberpunk is the best example of that, I think. Anyways, on topic. Sony and Microsoft are taking very different approaches here with their marketing, with one showing game trailers three years ahead of time, and the other, well, did you guys even announce the name of the God of War yet, Chris? (laughs) In my opinion, for good marketing, timing and trust in the quality of the game are very important. What else are critical points for good marketing, or is this 100% a detriment for every brand studio game individually? We have not announced anything. (laughs) Let me make that clear. I guess, yeah, I've been slowly realizing that talking to you where you're like, well, I can't discuss the name of the game I'm working on. And I'm I like, and then shoot myself in the foot. No, it's yeah. fine. Go on. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'd, I'd say it depends entirely. Like, like I said uh, earlier, it's, it really comes down to people way above us. It's like, you know, studio leads, production and the publisher that make those kind of calls. And if I remember right on Cyberpunk, the guy, like the studio lead, in trouble or something like like it, it was a big deal um mm-hmm. that he made the call to ship that game because you know it hurt the yeah. relationship with sony like for one thing it's, it's it's again it's one of the small things you don't think well it hurt the relationship with a lot of people but yeah, yeah sony but Sony's like big. didn't even let them sell the again, game sony is the largest you know the platform it's the platform you need to be on <laughs> to make money mm-hmm. in this industry and sony pulled it off the ps4 the most popular console like that and, and so another thing that's kind of known in this industry is like you make all your sales in the first week. I mean, mm-hmm. the, like it's great if you're still making money after that. 
And it's more common these days than ever before, I'd say, especially with like microtransactions. Yeah, games seem to have more legs now in terms of revenue. Yeah, but you know, traditionally speaking, that first week is where you make your money. And mm-hmm. publishers still have that mindset, too. Where it's like, you know, if they're, if they're judging, they want to judge your game as quickly as, po- as possible. So they're looking at that Metacritic score as quickly as possible. They're looking at how much. Right, because that can evolve, too, over the course of yeah. a month as more reviews come in. Yeah, which I think, is, you know, I mean, you see that constantly with like, like No Man's Sky right now is like actually a really great game. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it didn't start that way, but it, it got there. Um, and, and yeah, it's 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 usually basically just on very few people's shoulders to make that decision unfortunately. And we don't really have say as developers. So, well, and to go to back to that one guy's question, mm-hmm. um, which is his name, that one guy, that one yeah. guy, um, I, I think, a, part, a specific part of it, like, you know, Microsoft showing off games that aren't going to come out for three years. It's like, well, I'm going to be completely blunt guys. What else would they have shown in their showcase? Cause they have not released, <laughs> you know, yeah. well, Microsoft killed Microsoft game studios. That's why you're seeing these kind of delayed projects. It's mm-hmm. like if they, if Microsoft hadn't killed Microsoft games, like they shot themselves in the foot massively when they killed Microsoft game studios. Uh, and now they're still recovering from that. They're still trying to find people to make console exclusives and, you know, they're kind of shifting their identity now where it's like an Xbox is just the console version of a PC. So mm-hmm. if it works on a PC, you should work on an Xbox and it works on an Xbox, you should work on a PC. And I would argue a lot of that's because they don't have kind of the, the IP that Sony has. I mean, like mm-hmm. if you look at or at least they didn't, they might soon, but they didn't. They're buying it, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like they got Bethesda, they, which I think they've got all of ZeniMax, remember, right? which is like doom Mm -hmm. and like everything. So they're buying it, but like, you know, they're buying good studios basically. Whereas Sony built good studios, right? So they, they, they they have a a different relationship, I'd say, right? Like I would even say that a lot of, because you have to assume that, you know, people who buy games don't necessarily keep up to date with everything. So Mm -hmm. people buying a PlayStation right now may not know that they may not get to play the next doom. Because that still mm-hmm. hasn't really been talked about. So, you know, like how do how do you how do you align that information well? I mean, how do you deal with that? Whereas with a with a PlayStation, like you know, if you want to play the Last of Us, for example, you have to buy a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. You know, no matter what gamer you are, like you just know if there's going to be a new Last of Us it's going to be on a PlayStation. So there's this kind of like brand loyalty that Sony's built up that I think it's going to be hard for Microsoft to erode um, quickly, at least. I'm not saying they can't do whatever, but it's, it's going to take some time. Well, yeah, I mean, I would say on that note, like you just can't underestimate momentum, you know, and Sony's got a lot of momentum right now. Uh, Xbox had a lot of momentum going into the Xbox one, at least at first, it basically was selling as well as the PS4. And then they just kind of stopped reporting sales after a couple of years because I think it really was front-loaded, the amount of sales they had um, on that generation. And now they're starting to build up momentum again, but that takes so much time to build up momentum. And they just didn't have the portfolio, unfortunately, of, of games. You know, they didn't have mm-hmm. that many games. Like, yeah, so, so but, like, when you get a game like that that, like, actually really changes the game that's, like, amazing, and then you get The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2... 
I think The Last of Us was like really early, right? I, I can't well, it was a remaster of the PS3 game. Technically, oh, it launched right. before the yeah, PS4. Yeah, they right off the bat too. No, it's yeah, funny you say PS4. that though, because I know a lot of people think of it as a PS4 game. Yeah, yeah. I think they came out really close. Uh, they did, like half a year before the launch. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. GTA 5 came out one one month before the launch. That's hilarious to actually think about. But it takes him, you know, six years to make a Grand Theft Auto, so that's where that comes that's from. That's being to be fair. Uh, very. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they've been making that game since the last one, and that was like ten years. It was, it was a long time ago. And I'm sure they have they're, been. They're, they're grabbing stuff. Yeah. And from what I'm hearing, it's like don't expect it before 23 or 24. Like it might be that situation again where, well, you almost like the argument the new GTA may almost miss this. I mean, it did. It missed a generation. It already did. Yeah, because yeah. if it did, if it was on PS3 and 360, then yeah. Yep. But they got their test in with like. <laughs> Development studios typically try to not skip a generation. If, mm-hmm. if they like, I think that's why we got Red Dead. Uh, I think they knew that they were going to ship uh, GTA uh, in the time frame that mm-hmm. they would like to, but they still needed to be building tech for th- a platform because they needed to be able to reuse that tech later on, right? Like things like you know uh, horseball shrinkage, or <laughs> probably not something that small, but like uh, deformable snow. You know, mm-hmm. like like uh, dynamic uh, clouds, dynamic skies in general, like all these amazing tech that came along with Red Dead. I'm sure they're gonna find their way into GTA, right? And 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 the, you see the same. That's like why Epic Epic doesn't just develop Unreal Engine; they develop games within Unreal Engine, and then they determine what tools they need and what things they need to improve on while they're making those games. Um, you can't just develop in a vacuum. You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKOffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of Windows 10 for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com and make sure you use the offer code broken silicon to get a big discount on Windows software and die shrink to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website go to cdkoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law is dead sent you QH Freddy writes in and he asks Could you talk a bit about in what ways working on something like a Call of Duty is different from a smaller game or even other AAA games? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, Call of Duty is the biggest game in the world. Um, Even if it doesn't get the best Metacritic score in the world, it's still number one selling. Biggest game in the world. Tons of studios. Tons of people looking at your stuff. I mean, it, it cannot be overstated how many people touch Call of Duty. It's 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 insanity. Mm. Um, and really, when you're in AAA in general, it's like, you know, I'm never going to be working in animation. I, I'm never going to be like a lighter. I'm not going to be doing mm-hmm. their job because we have so many of them who are great at it. So you, you really get into an expertise. You really narrow down a very small subset like VFX, for example. Uh, it doesn't usually exist in ND teams. Usually it's a technical artist who handles the VFX. Um, just because you got to wear so many hats. So a VFX artist is like a relatively new position in the industry mm-hmm. at large. 
because it hasn't been the case that you needed as many effects as you do now. There weren't this many bosses that need this many, you know, uh, one-off effects. You know, this many environments, this many whatever. So, yeah, that's that, that's definitely the biggest thing between AAA and uh, Indie is just, you know, you, you gain expertise, you become a solo expert, whereas if you go into Indie, you're going to be wearing a lot of hats. You're going to be a, a generalist, mm-hmm. typically. Because I worked on games in college, right? Yeah. And like I knew none of those were gonna like sell to critical acclaim. But when you work on a triple A title, that's like Yeah, like a film student, you know, it's like I know this short film, no one's gonna see this. No I'm one's aware. gonna care about this thing. Like I, I think when we released um my my senior thesis project, we had like forty thousand downloads or something, and we were like cheering, we we're like, this is so cool. But it was free. We released it for free because it's just easier. Um, yeah. people don't complain and, and you know, you know, jump through hoops for refunds and crap. Um, and it was, just wasn't worth paying for in my opinion. <laughs> but like people <laughs> for being brutally it. honest. Yeah. If we're being brutally honest, it wasn't. Um, but then you, you work on something like when I worked on COD and we shift, it was like, like people always say like, you know, the first one, like you feel that and you're going to remember it. And it, it, there's some like cheesiness to it, but it's also true. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you know that that thing is going out the door to millions of fans that people are going to like be buying your game day one. They're going to be looking at all of your art like for days at a time. Like it's, it's a different feeling. Um, it's not to say that indie games can't be very successful. Uh, it's just that typically most games fail and that does include indie games. <laughs> so it's again, like if you have a team that can ship a good product consistently, they're worth the weight in gold in this industry. Mm-hmm. A lot of projects fail, unfortunately. It's funny though, like the uh, feeling thing of like working at a, on like a bigger project because oh, it's yeah. like the difference between the company I worked at after General Motors that, I mean, it was a better gig. Let's, I'll just be honest. That's why I took it. But there was something very cool about being like, oh, who do you, what's your job? It's like, oh, I work at General Motors. Have you heard of them? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what do you do? Oh, I like make sure the Chevy Cruze meets all specifications and is safe. It's like, so like I'm the one running the crash test on that car. You just drove here with like me. <laughs> and uh, it definitely is more reputable because like when I was mm-hmm. telling people, yeah, you know, when I, cause I didn't start out working in AAA, right. I was working on like smaller stuff and doing contracts where I could and just like hand to mouth doing stuff I could do. And when you talk to people, they're like, like they ask you what you do. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm working on this small thing or, or this small thing. And they're like, oh, that's uh, that's cool. How old are you again? <laughs> you know, like, like they're trying to like. Oh, yeah. Like, they just want to see yeah. if it's OK that you're actually working on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're, they're kind of just being like dismissive a little bit where it's like, you know, are you going to get your shit together today? Because you're working on games and you're an adult. Right. Like, <laughs> but when you tell them you work at Sony, then they're like, oh, you're serious about what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which isn't even fair because there's like like Minecraft, you know, came out of notch and like. That was like like his own thing, mm. right? Yeah, the, yeah, there's a lot of like loaded expectations when you say what you do, depending on if people like have heard of it. Like, yeah. you get that a lot in the YouTuber space, by the way. <laughs> like, no, no one has any idea what anyone does if you say YouTuber. But um, I mean, like, what's the rea- difference in reaction if, between saying, "Oh, I worked at I work on Call of Duty and I work on God of War"? Like, is it like the same kind of reaction or like? I'm kind of curious now the that we're on this note. The fan bases are both so huge. I haven't noticed a difference mm-hmm. in like the fan bases. Right. Themselves. I would imagine probably not, right? But honestly, the COD fans are like very harsh. <laughs> 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 like they are never happy. 
Whereas what blew me away is while like it was like a month or so ago, I don't know, actually I'm terrible with dates. If you haven't noticed, Mm -hmm. um, it was during, during the last Sony conference or whatever, where they're showing off games. Um, and people were kind of expecting, you know, a God of War reveal. And we didn't have a God of War reveal because we're working on a game, but it's not, you know, announced yet. But the fans, they weren't vitriolic at all. They were like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm we know it's going to be great. Keep on working on it, guys. Like, you know, I can't wait to play it. I'm glad you guys are waiting to make it a great game. So just ship it. And that was like, what? <laughs> like, Very different than the reaction to a delay or issue with a Call oh, of Duty game. Yeah, man. Delay or issue with a Call of Duty game. Those fans eat you to shreds. And there's a comment that's like, hey, guys, can we stop being less less dickish? And that's like the third comment down. <laughs> it's like every Reddit thread <laughs> you go through. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. That's not to say the Call of Duty fans are all bad either, though. There's uh, definitely some nice things that were said and. You know, like I, I remember when that game shipped, I went on some people's Twitch channels and like, hey, what do you think of like the various things that I worked on? And of course, I didn't say that who I was or anything. I just gave him like five bucks and like, yeah, yeah, it looks great. I love it. And it's like, cool, you know. So like I try to like, you know, let those voices still exist <laughs> where they're not all. I'm not going to say all COD fans are terrible. Basically, it's just a lot of the forums. Oh, no, of course not. You know. Yeah. But, you know, it's a more competitive aggressive game maybe you would expect the big fan base there is also maybe a little more aggressive with wanting to play it versus a more narrative single player game um well the expectations are just high too i mean again those studios you know those they're they're some well-regarded studios i would say like iw and you know treyarch Mm -hmm. and sledgehammer like great studios (laughs) i mean they're up there with you know I would say that they're actually at, the, at or near the top in terms of AAA. Um, not to say that Ubisoft is bad, but if you look at you know their sales versus Activision, it's like there's a difference. <laughs> People generally play COD; <laughs> they don't really play these other games as often. So even if you know they have issues, I guess you might at least make the argument, yeah. But they still manage to ship it every year, which is just crazy. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Which like, is probably where the anger comes from too. Like the Call of Duty fans are probably used to, hey, you give me this every year, and I expect it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, it's hard to please them because, as you, as you say, they expect to do one every single year, but they also aren't happy when it's a little buggy, which is like, you can't really have both. It's kind of a victim easily. of your own success, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just like because you've been so Call of Duty games have been fairly consistent, which I'm not a gigantic Call of Duty fan, mm-hmm. but I do have to admit, you know, it's like every time one comes out a uh, year after a year, I'm like, really, they managed to make another one another year in a row. And That's kind of mind-blowing to me. Traditionally, they've done pretty well with differentiating the games, too, where it doesn't really feel like you're playing the exact same game. And that's nowadays I would agree with you. I don't know that I agreed five years ago, well, though. Well, I'd say like after the after like Modern Warfare 3. The Modern Warfare mm-hmm. is to get it repetitive, but like, you know, then you had like Black Ops, which wasn't like Modern Warfare. And then you got into like World War Two and you know, like Generally speaking, I, I'd say that they try to be a little bit different from each other. And that actually happens through the different studios, too, because what they what they do, right, is like, I do, well, I don't know how they're doing it anymore. I don't work there anymore. I, I don't know what they decided. But what they used to do is they would go on a three-year schedule. So Sledgehammer would mm-hmm. handle one game. They get three years to work on it. IW would handle another game. They get three work, three years, and Treyarch would handle the next. You know, you know that, gives, that gives you a lot of time to, to make things good. Unfortunately, it's... It, it's not exactly perfect either, you know. Like you're not necessarily mm-hmm. guaranteed to ship a year, uh, ship a game in three years. 
Um, well, yeah, it's funny now. Three years is that used to be. I mean, if you look at like Halos, you know, Kill Zone, Resistance, like every two years a new one came out for a while, and then it became three years was a long time, and now I think three years is considered quick. I mean. It depends where you it depends where you start counting development too, right? Because it's like stories and shit, like stories and initial design, like that kind of stuff happens way earlier. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can tell you we're working on a game to ship, you know, right now, but we're also already working on the next one, <laughs> right? Like the, the, the following game has people writing the story for it, planning things out, and, and going through the motions already. Um, mm-hmm. And then you see that pretty often. So it's like, where, where do you say like the games development started? And Cold War is the same way. Like Raven had a great story that they really mm-hmm. wanted to do with uh, with Black Ops. And they I don't know when they wrote this story, but like they presented it and they, it got approved. So it's I, I, and they made it sound like they had it in their pocket for a while. <laughs> so Oh, uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all, especially yeah. with a studio like Call of Duty, where it's like, well, let's save this one because we know we're going to make another one, guys. Yeah, exactly. They, Ra- Raven knew there was going to be an opportunity eventually. And when they got that opportunity, they wanted to be coming out swinging. And they did. Going into a, a harder question, Aiden FS writes in and he asks, we all knew the latest Call of Duty titles in Warzone would have massive install sizes, but the March 29th update was more than just massive for Warzone. On PC, the update was 52.4 gigabytes for Warzone only and 133.6 gigabytes for Warzone and Modern Warfare 2019. What is the reason for an update that is three times as many AAA game install sizes, but don't worry, it decreased the after update size by like 10 to 30 gigabytes, I guess, though. Yeah, and, and this was something where when I first played like Modern Warfare and Warzone, I like asked friends on different consoles and PC, like, on your system, is the install size that big? And they're like, yeah, it is on every system, yeah. Yep. Um, what, what's that about? I've got to ask, because it's like 200 gigabytes, the version I've installed. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot, and it's mainly just... It's just art like it's it's weird you have to kind of give credit to activision for how they've managed to monetize like every single part of that game right like you have tons of little banners tons of them and like in warzone you have you basically have cold wars all of cold wars you know stuff you buy and you also have all of modern warfare stuff you buy and that's like kind of unheard of and like that's this is part of why like this is part mm-hmm. of why games traditionally don't allow you to migrate your DLC to the next game is because it introduces problems mm. like this. Um, and there's no real way around it because you can't have like DLC be dynamic, if that makes sense. Like you can't like download the guns that a player has when a match starts, especially for something like Warzone, which is like 80, you know, 100 players. You can't download well, all their stuff. Yeah, overall, yeah, I think it's 150 players. And then yeah. at this point, what is there like a hundred something guns and each one could have a different gun that you need to load in? They initially like limited, and this is why they limited the the guns initially that you could pick up, right? Like you couldn't get every mm-hmm. single skin. That's why. <laughs> because they couldn't load in every single gun because <laughs> there just isn't enough room um to do to do so on top of everyone else's stuff. So yeah, it's yeah, it's it's mainly just all of this DLC coming back around. But like the same point, you know, players love the DLC. They 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 buy the crap out of it and they've cheered it on. So what are they gonna do? Not have DLC? <laughs> you know? Right. And I think kind of the thing, the conclusion I'm coming to is sure, 
Some versions of the install of this game are too big to even fit on an Xbox Series S or base PS4, which is a large install base of people that might not have aftermarket SSDs or hard drives. But I guess the fans, right, that probably spend the most money have a bigger hard drive already because they would tend to be that person. And so that's where the money is anyways. Like Warzone itself, right, is free. I mean, if you want to play Modern Warfare or Colder, you got to buy them, but Warzone's free, so... I'd say there's a little more of an expectation, like, you know, got to pay somewhere. <laughs> like Maybe you have to buy an SSD to play, but it's not the end of the world, I guess. I'm not openly, you know, trying to defend that or anything. It's just... You're just explaining it. Yeah, it, it's like, logically, that's the way I see it. Um, and we kind of have to move forward as an industry no matter what, too, right? It's like you can't, as you were saying earlier, we can't be held back by the PS4 forever. So at some point, mm-hmm. you do have to make the call of like, okay... Well, it doesn't fit on the Series S either. And I don't know if yeah. Microsoft expected a 300 gigabyte game <laughs> less than a year after it came out. Yeah. Let alone a last-gen one. <laughs> God, that console is weird, too, because it was actually... It's really good. It's a good console. And we, we were also confused why it came out so late. <laughs> like, it's like... Announced, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It was, such, it was such good hardware, but it came at the tail end, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, guess, I think we're going to see that more. As, as you were pointing out earlier, you know, I'm sure we're going to have some good news on that soon. <laughs> so, well, I guess, right, though, you have to think, though, that at Activision, they're probably planning to do something different if they ever evolve. Although, are they? I mean, Warzone is like a, a, a standard esports game. So can they even move past it? And like at some point, they need to redo it, right? Like and say, this is Warzone 2.0. There's a new install. It takes up way less space. We started from scratch. Because I think, they, my understanding from what I've heard, from what I've heard, Activision never expected Warzone no. to be this successful, even remotely. We had already shipped a Battle Royale. Black Ops 4 had a Battle Royale. Arguably, it was better optimized at launch than Warzone. Mm-hmm. And it was not nearly as successful. <laughs> So, and it's it's funny too because a lot of the guys, um, like the higher ups at uh, Three Arc, part of why you know they kind of left was because they wanted um, the battle royale to be free to play for Black Ops Four, and mm-hmm. it wasn't made free to play, and they know that that hurt their development. So especially when you see like, hey, Modern Warfare just released Warzone, it's a free to play game mode, it's doing extremely well. I'm sure they were salty as all hell. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I know I'd be. Um, so yeah, like, like, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone at Activision HQ, um, expected for Warzone to do as well as it did. I don't think anyone Mm -hmm. working on it expected for it to do as well as it did. Um, actually, God, I don't, I don't want to say that, but like, you know, we were working on very large maps for Cold War. Mm -hmm. Well into development. Those weren't developed in a vacuum. (laughs) Like... Warzone, Warzone threw a wrench in a lot of things. Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say something. I've heard this too that Warzone, yeah, it was expected to be Modern Warfare, which was incredibly successful in yeah. its own right. The multiplayer, and I like the base multiplayer of Modern Warfare oh, it's, by it's itself. It, it's yeah. very good. And then Warzone came out. I believe Activision expected that to be its own thing as a free to play option. And then Black Ops was going to have its own thing is my understanding, but you didn't tell me that I, I, I've heard that. And then what I heard is somewhat last minute though, Activision's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Warzone's way too successful. You need to now bridge all these games together. And that's where a lot of this install size thing. Yeah, comes the bridging, from. the bridging, the games together came pretty late, but now the, the Warzone getting cut came pretty early, honestly. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or like the 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 black ops version of a of a full map but part of that wasn't even just like that activists didn't want us to ship a battle royale to compete with warzone like some people are going to say that and there's some truth to that i'm sure but also part of it was we had to ship a game in a fucking year mm-hmm. <laughs> there wasn't enough time really so I, I think to some extent there were arguments being made like hey if we cut a game mode we increase the likelihood of shipping this game so so moving forward again Call of Duty related, mm-hmm. which I'm actually really enjoying the Call of Duty talk. I'm usually a Battlefield person, but <laughs> this is like the, I mean, like how often am I talking to someone who worked at Treyarch? Michael Woodward writes in and he says, I have a Call of Duty question. Why is hacking still an issue in the recent Call of Duty series? I know they have banned millions of players for hacking, but why is it still a problem for Activision? By the way, yeah. my account was hacked out of nowhere once and I had, I just couldn't oh, play Call of Duty for three months. Sort of hacking. Oh. No, he means he means the cheaters oh, with cheaters. guns. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I'm just throwing it in there that I know a hacker did hack my account so they could be a hacker. Dude, and it took months for Microsoft for um, Activision so to fix at it. People are skimming emails and getting passwords now. See, but I don't know how they got it because I never showed my password in well, there, there and I there could have been a security vulnerability at Activision too. <laughs> they have not all the time. Like Google has them. I don't think it's crazy to expect a company to have one. Let's go back to the actual hackers themselves in games, you know, yeah. flying across the map, locking on to everybody. Why does yeah. this keep happening? Because it became an epidemic in Battlefield 1, and a problem that I never think got as big in Battlefield 5, maybe that's because it just wasn't oh, as no, successful as Battlefield, Battlefield 1. Five there were hackers, though. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of hackers mm-hmm. in that game. I would, I, I, I would say I experienced more in Battlefield 5 than Battlefield 1. Well, you know, what? I take that back. There were, there aren't that many right now, but about half a year ago, there was nothing but hackers. <laughs> there was like, there's like a few months that were really bad. But I think it's like the certain, like the players that would want to hack are probably done with the game now because there's better things to hack, you know? Like, I, I mm-hmm. think, I, I that's, think that's exactly right. Yeah. That does that. Like, you have to have a very specific mindset to hack. And what, what, what kind of kills me yeah. is like, I don't think we're getting away from hacking. Um, in terms of cheating? That's something that I'm worried about because I don't know if you saw that recent like announcement that went, made the rounds on gaming websites, like a new AI-driven h- hacking thing. Yeah. And they said that they got it to work on PlayStation and Xbox, which the PlayStation one always worries me because there were not a lot of hackers on PS3, but that thing used a cell processor. No one could get that Ex- freaking thing to work. Yeah, it was kind of a... But now, the fact that they already have it hacking on Xbox, PlayStation, I think they said Switch, everything right now that's i'm really worried that yep because i'm gonna be honest like at a certain point i'll play the online game that doesn't have hackers because i can't stand it anymore well and and really i mean i i think the only way that you can like prevent this going forward is just going to be a return to local area network or um not even land necessarily but like uh private lobbies and that kind of stuff like you know um hosting a server maybe you know for a group of like Mm -hmm. 80 people like used to have these you know, independent servers for Battlefield was a big one. The, you know, and people complain about it. I don't even know if they have that in Battlefield 5 yet. But, like, I think... I don't know if they did. They did in 4 eventually. Yeah, they did in 4 eventually. Um, and I think that's the only way... Like, you know, you have known good people. Mm-hmm. Because, like, telling whether someone is fucking, um, you know, ninja or hacking, I mean, when, when, they, it's, when it's not obvious, like... 
yeah it's it, it's it's not going to get easier um i think we, we've we've come up with the solutions we can come up with right like you know denuvo mm-hmm. type stuff where it's like we check your code and we make sure it's the same across versions of course you can still break some of that with uh you know like kernel layers and shit but generally speaking you're going to be okay um yeah you know, with most most of your audience but shit if you have like ai I, I, what do you do because it's another AI because it, it's not because like old hacks would just like I believe inject themselves into the game code uh, but this just is a, like a layer that runs completely in its own Literally box away from themselves. the game they can and, just run on top of it right that's what they it. do now yeah exactly that's what yeah. they do now mainly is they just like listen um, and those are getting worked around you know it's there's all there's always going to be it's like it's like uh, it's like drugs I see it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there's a black market. There's always mm-hmm. going to be a black market for these hacks. As, as long as people want to pay for them, people are going to be making them. And some of these, like one of the bigger hacks I saw for, I think it was, it was for Warzone, was making like a, like $800,000 a month or some crazy amount of money. Jeez. So like, see, that, that, that's, that worries me though, because that means how many hackers that <laughs> bought that a month then, yeah. like thousands. Yeah. Well, and it's a worldwide game. So, I mean, like, you know, you, you may only have like one percent of the player base that's doing that. That's still a shit ton of players. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. So I mean, it got to the point in Battlefield Five where there was always a hacker in the oh, room. Yeah. And we just stopped playing. Yeah, it was terrible. It was they just shoot you while you're falling from a from a plane. They do that in, in Warzone from from time to time now too, though, where it's like so egregious. It's like how have you not been banned yet? <laughs> uh, Michael Campuzano writes in. Yes, are console game developers tired of developing games exclusively for the dual joystick layout? Do game developers wish there was an innovation which could bring precision aiming as a central game mechanic to console, like a mouse controller hybrid? Here's a link to a prototype developed by Tech Yesterday. Well, first of all, it was Miguel, not Michael. Um, I would say, again, like, and I just found this, like, I looked at the menu of, uh, Zombie Army 4 on PlayStation, and it just lets you plug in a keyboard and mouse. Yeah, you, you can don't plug in a keyboard and mouse for that game. You don't need yeah. some special peripheral. I'll, you know, I guess I actually want to jump ahead of Miguel here and ask: developing for God of War, that there's keyboard and mouse controls when you're developing for it, right? Or no? Nope. You have to plug in a controller while you're walking. Everything's oh, that's kit. a surprise to me. It was a surprise to me too, friend. <laughs> Okay, I was gonna say because you're like you're used to working for a multi-platform, yeah. uh, uh, developing company, and then you go to PlayStation Studio. So you're okay. So yeah, you're saying that there is a PS5 controller hooked into the code that's being written, and there isn't a oh, way to use a keyboard and mouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but Sony. I assume they would. Yeah. So they they really aren't concerned with PC at all. I, I tried to play the the most recent um, Resident Evil game. I fucking hated mm-hmm. it on a computer. I had, I, I returned it. Because I couldn't play it on, on with mouse and keyboard, um, but it's because they they really don't they haven't had the mindset of developing for PC because like it's kind of their thing, right? Like you buy. Can't a you just use a controller though, even on PC yeah, with that but one? I am terrible with controllers, man. <laughs> like I'm so used to I'm I'm a PC gamer, mm-hmm. so like using a controller for me is like it's almost like a second language at this point um, for first person shooters at least. For like uh, God of War, you know, you don't really need to have the finest no, tuned aim. Not. Um, you just gotta hit things and break people up. It, mo- mostly about timing there. Yeah. yeah. So wait. So you're saying though? 
So because this is news to me, because I've been saying this on Broken Silicon for, I think, a few months now, like these console developers got to just have a way to use keyboard and mouse. It's probably an INI file tweak to just allow. But you're saying no, a lot of PlayStation oh, we, games might not have <laughs> I guess that. I shouldn't say that entire, like we don't use it for controls. We use, we sure. type in keyboard commands to our game for our dev GUI. That's also mm-hmm. kind of a uh, Santa Monica thing. That's like, I've only seen the Santa Monica like at, at Treyarch, we could run the game on a PC, on an Xbox, on a PlayStation. Right. We could use a keyboard. We could use a controller. We could use anything because it was, as you're saying, it was meant to be run on everything. Um, but you know, God of War or uh, Sony Santa Monica's games are really only developed for uh, a console right now, and that might change. They might make mm-hmm. it so that they want to make it more inclusive to to uh, keyboards. I will say, but right now. That's not going on, basically. I wouldn't though. say keyboard and mouse from what I've seen. I don't know. I don't see everything because I'm a low-level dude. But um, what I've seen, no, keyboard and mouse isn't the priority. But honestly, they are doing massive things with uh, disabilities. And that's been mm-hmm. super cool to see. Uh, very, very impressed with the, like how serious the team is taking that. Um, they really want to make sure that like you know paraplegics or... You know the colorblind anyone actually yeah. play our game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's huge to me because like, like I, I have family members that have severe disabilities, and yeah, I mean, I, I I love them being able to have something to do. You know, it's, it's well, and it's play the thing you worked on. You know, oh, that's <laughs> that's just a bonus at the end of the day, right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm more happy that they get to do something because not all games have really. It, it's a, it's a growing trend that people are caring more about like alternative solutions, like you know. The, this guy's a controller mouse hybrid is doable now may not have been doable in the past because it mm-hmm. just inputs you know some uh, microsoft wanted to lock stuff down really heavily but now they have like this open source thing that you can just plug mm-hmm. different things into and make your own controllers like that's cool to see it it, it is changing i wouldn't say that like any developer is going to be like you know what we made the coolest controller ever it's better than any other controller well i guess steam has a tendency to try that um but no, it didn't work out yeah like, <laughs> that way. Like, like like the new the new steam deck has really interesting controls they have like uh you can use like their um thumbsticks are capacitive so they work as like mm. uh like mouse track pads that's interesting it's cool it's a new thing um we'll see where it goes so like to go back to the keyboard and mouse thing though i guess I can't speak for Sony first parties. I guess I don't know. Maybe they are just controllers to control it. But do you find it weird how many third-party games don't let you use a keyboard and mouse on console? Because, again, Zombie Army 4, you just plug in a keyboard and mouse. Of course it supports it. Like, come on, guys. But, like, a Far Cry game, what? Because for me, Far Cry games are really sluggish with a controller. Like, really sluggish. And I don't think they have to be, by the way. Some games with controllers control way better and with less, I don't know, just cumbersome (sighs) I but, think the PC market in general, it's growing, right? Like, I think that's what you see with, like, Resident Evil being put on PC. Again, it's, like, it's a testing of the mm. waters by Sony before they go, like, whole hog. Like, these companies don't jump into something. So, like, they're testing things out and being like, okay, okay, this is this is doing okay. You know? Makes sense. And then they'll maybe try to get some other games to do the same thing eventually. But uh, if you look at PC as, like, a percentage of, like, you know, mindshare among gamers it's like at an all-time high i don't know maybe maybe just someone just didn't say something you'd be surprised how many things don't get done unless someone says something like there's a lot of things to tackle in a game's production that it may just slip under the under the rug a lot huh 
never thought about but that. But it's, it's a line of code. Change the one to a zero and let me plug in a keyboard I and know, mouse. I, it sounds so simple, but you again, you would be surprised how often you have to push for these like very minute things. Like one of the things I'm fighting for right now is uh, screen attached effects. And it's the same thing. It's one line of code. You put a, an effect, you spawn it in front of the camera. That's that, that, that's what a screen attached effect is. And it's like trying to get you know teams on board to put the time into attaching an effect to a camera. It's like a whole mm-hmm. thing. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, like 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 these small things. Again, it's kind of a downside of AAA too. Uh, small things become big things. Mm-hmm. Uh, no matter what, unfortunately. Um, it's very rare when you have a small thing stay a small thing, you know. Typically, I'll get a, a thing that's like, oh, like I literally just had this happen last week. It's like, oh, recolor this stuff should be a day. It took like three days. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we kept going back and forth on shit. So. Well, speaking of taking not a lot of time, you did, and I, and I keep kept forgetting to bring it up again after you mentioned it. Like FSR, that's already came to arcade again on consoles. Um, with FSR, like. Are you guys playing around with FSR at all? Is that something that is as easy to implement as, you know, they say it is? I'm sure it's being worked on. I know I know we have tech teams working on some dope stuff for PS5, but we don't really hear about that in my department. Um, it's just not a priority for, for us because we, we know, again, it, it all comes down to trust, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I trust that our programmers are kicking ass, you know, that they're doing the mm-hmm. best they can. They're trying to make the things look amazing. And I imagine that Sony is not going to want a game to ship without FSR because mm. they really want 4K. Everyone wants 4K right now. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, if you have like a crappy monitor that's like 1080, I don't know why you need 4K. But like, everyone wants 4K. So, they're they're however we get that, the studios and developers are going to be pushing for it. And this is an opinion, right? But your opinion is that now that it's out and it's is and from what you've heard, right, it is as easy to implement as they say. Like it takes almost nothing. Like you think that it's yeah. gonna be pretty ubiquitous amongst Microsoft, Sony. I mean, I can see what I've seen with like because NVIDIA had a lot of new tech coming in for Cold War. And mm-hmm. I mean, like it's it's not it's not like NVIDIA makes something and then we have to figure out from NVIDIA documentation how to implement it. It's like NVIDIA makes something and they tell us. So I'm, I'm also imagining that like, I don't talk to our super high-end engineers um, at Santa Monica Studios as much, but I'm imagining that when AMD releases something that we know instantly. And mm-hmm. when we want to implement something, we talk to the people at AMD and we get help to ensure that everything's working correctly. Like that's, that's an expectation when you're working in AAA because it, it's this kind of like... Um, you know, uh, is a vicarious relationship, right? Where we both need each other, right? Like AMD needs us to use their stuff correctly and we need to use their stuff correctly. (laughs) So it it works out for both people to have uh, some help along the way. I do want to ask this one. Elaine writes in, what are some of the differences between designing for a competitive game and a single player game? Do you factor in that people will run games at lower settings for maximum FPS or to gain other competitive advantages? And that's something I've had a bone to pick with some of these online games too, is it's like, you can't, I want the game to look pretty, but I shouldn't have to feel like I have to turn off underbrush, you know, for an advantage. And I always find that annoying when they allow that. Yeah, no, I mean, we know it. We know it's going to happen. I mean, especially in effects. Effects are one of the first things people turn down see it you know mm-hmm. it's like you watch someone open your game for the first time at twitch and they go to say it's like oh high high effects low effects low <laughs> so, yeah I mean, yeah we we know that's gonna happen for uh, a competitive game on console of course you can't change that stuff 
So again, that's why console development can kind of be nice because we know that like there's no excuses, right? Like you can't be like, oh, I'm running a 960 in my PS5. Like, no, you're yeah. not, dude. Come it's a, on. It's a, it's a competitive, it's a uh, level playing it's a field for the online game. It's a standardized piece of hardware, so we we, we be consistent with it. Um, usually PC gets more complex because you have to control for so many variables in people's hardware. And even like, you know, maybe someone does have a 3090, but it's clogged with freaking dust and it doesn't run worth a damn. So, <laughs> so they have to lower their settings. So that's why we have to have so many settings. Um, and, and really, I think the biggest difference you see between... You know, single player and competitive games in that sense is like competitive games don't really don't really uh, focus, I guess, on the visuals as much. Like they're a lot more focused mm-hmm. on making sure that you have a consistent high frame rate and things look good. Right. The first thing, though, is that you can play the game. Um, you can see people that things look, you know, as they should and that you can actually just play the game at a good frame rate. Whereas in single player, well, and you even have this in most competitive games, right? Like Uncalled, we had campaigns. And you have these cinematic moments. And even like at the end of Warzone, you have cinematic moments. And the frame rate drops. And the frame rate drops because we're saying like, hey, this is our moment to use some of this computing power. Like you don't need 60 FPS right now. You're not playing the game. So let's I've noticed that in cool. uh, God of War, the, the one on the previous one, that in like... In cinematic moments, it's an in-game cutscene, right? It's in-engine. But what it will do is they'll cap the frame rate all of a sudden, and then you can just jack up the resolution out of nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> it looks extra cinematic when they have a fixed camera or something. Well, and even if you know, like, like I know when I'm making a wad, or we call them wads, it's just like a, a, a level. Um, I know when I'm doing, like, an effects pass for ambient effects, to, for example, that, like, if, I, if, this, if this place is going to have enemies then it needs to be like more sparse, right? There, there needs to be fewer effects because we need to save space on the GPU for the enemy's effects to spawn. Um, if, we're, if we're in a boss, then we lower that even further because mm-hmm. the boss effects are going to be more substantial, right? Like yeah. they've got to look cooler than everyone else's so they're going to hit the, the hardware harder. And, you know, typically there's just other things going on in those scenes too. So you just want to keep that light. Um, so these, these kind of considerations can happen even outside of specific cinematics, right? Like maybe you're walking along a hallway, you know, and it's, it's a long hallway that looks boring because they're loading shit or whatever, you know, I mean, this is more of an issue with, with older games, but you're still going to be walking along stuff in current gen games just because it's cinematic. Right. Um, and in those areas, you want to place more particles because you're not finding anything and, you know, it's not an actual Mm -hmm. cinematic, but you want the scene to look really good. You want these moments yeah. to be memorable. I, th- I know what player. you're talking about. There were things like that in last gen where it was like, well, this hallway looks really cool. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we don't want you to be bored while we're loading the next area. No, no, absolutely. And again, like in AAA, we, we are using all of the power we can at any time. So we, we as much as we can, we ensure that we aren't dipping the FPS like too low for what it needs to be for a segment of the game. But we want to make things look as good as they can. Like, like, like we take that very seriously. And I guess, I don't know if you can answer this, but like for God, for, for a current God of war though, the other ones on PS4, are there hallways that you're aware of that have been added? So the PS4 game can run, or is it like, that isn't something you're aware that's come up. I don't know enough about our back end, honestly. Cause I guess you are the VFX guy though. So I why would you know playing the game we're working on? 
it's pretty smooth. You, you don't notice it is, is how I'll put it. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. Like I think God of War has always been good about that though, where mm-hmm. like you load into the game and I, I never really noticed like the loading screen never really bothered me. I never really felt like I was being like forced to wait for stuff to load in that game. Cause there's always something cool going on or th- to think about, or like, like, like we use um, in our games, we use characters bounce off each other and stuff right like we're always doing oh, that's right that's too. when they talk yeah, yeah yeah so like like there's all these little other things that you can do to help break up those moments and then it's not very bad i mean like i think the worst thing is when you're in a game and you go into the uh the uh, elevator oh those are by far and, the worst yeah, yeah. You're just, like, wouldn't you elevator. argue though the original the the previous god of war had one which was that quick travel area with the tree come on that was a loading was. elevator it, though it, wasn't it, it absolutely <laughs> was but i don't know that we I mean, there's no other way we could have done that so mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean generally you should try to stay away from that. Um I think we've done a good a good job with the current project of that, making sure everything's like you don't wanna make things linear either, right? You don't wanna just have a game be the, the basic experience. So, you know, but in general, as you're playing the game, you're not gonna be worried about loading. At least I have. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've been going for a while now, so I'm trying to kind of round it out. Um, let, let's just do two more pretty quick, though. Jim Unin writes in, he says, Hey, Tom and Chris, I'm quite curious as to why AAA titles don't uh, don't or haven't made their games exclusively on DirectX 12 yet, so there's no compatibility layer or drop-in from DirectX 11 into 12, as it's been out for some time and is supported on the majority of Windows versions. I recall parts of when Brian was on the show, and he talked about how different versions are affected within the pipeline and how depending on the card and which manufacturer it came from, this can drastically affect hang time and other things. Thank you so much. I found the channel in mid-2019, the rising AMD video, and I've been hooked ever since. Thanks again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. DX11 and 12 is a weird conversation. Because if you, like, talk to devs, especially, like, DX12 didn't come out in in a perfect state, to put it lightly. It seemed like, I'm going to be honest, like, the rule of thumb pretty quickly was don't use DX12. It will always have more stutter and crash your game. and I would just always do a DirectX 11 mode. Just get exactly. a fast processor, do DirectX 11 mode. And and it, that's kind of why we still see hesitancy with it. I, 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 that it's it's the same way with anything else, right? Like that first initial impression is very important, really important. You know that first impression throughout life, you find that. So I, I would say that still is some part of it. I'd say it still feeds into it to some extent. And, you know, they're they're getting away from it. Um, I think Microsoft in general is taking game development software or developing game development stuff very seriously these days. Like they're they're Mm -hmm. they're fully invested in it. And you can tell Um, I don't know how all these various efforts of theirs are going to play out. I I don't can't see into the future, but I can tell that they're taking it very seriously. So I would be surprised if we don't see, you know, DX 13 in the the future. That's that puts DX 12 to shame. Um, I don't know what they had to really update, but. How much of that do you think would be the fact that DirectX 12 just was always going to have a shaky, you know, kind of support and bugginess because it was pushing the multi-thread thing? Like if DirectX 13, for example, were to work better, is it mostly that? Or do you, but, or you, you are saying though that DirectX 12 just could have been launched in a less buggy state? Yeah, I mean, DirectX 12 could have definitely been launched in a less buggy state and I think it would have been taken better because here's the th- like the thing is every every software solution or hardware solution with a software solution that comes out they always say the same damn thing it's like it's so easy 
you just you just you know you add this line of code and it's done it's like nvidia's ray tracing right like like jensen huang was like you know it's famously quoted right it's like it's so easy or something i can't remember the exact thing oh it just works ray tracing it just works it just and works we saw how that worked with battlefield 5 Right. It was not a perfect <laughs> was implementation right off the bat. Um, not I, perfect is not the word I would use. Exactly. No. So like, like that's kind of like, like my point of view is that if you want to sell your thing as a turnkey solution, it has to be a turnkey solution, and it's not right. just DX eleven or twelve. It's it, it's a it's an it's an issue across the industry. You, you think DirectX twelve could have been a bit of a premature launch? Then, like, it was a good idea, but maybe let it. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, it's like maybe mm-hmm. maybe the hardware that they were testing on, um, you know, didn't have a certain software installed, or you know, there's all these weird variables that maybe they found out too late that were killing stuff. I mean, testing is very important these days. You you have to test the crap out of everything you make because of stuff like this. You just can't foresee how everything works out. And, and we're kind of seeing this with uh, Windows 11 right now. Right? Like Windows 11 is coming out and they're saying like it's only going to work on certain generations of hardware. Yeah, it's um, Coffee Lake and Zen Plus and later, I believe. Yeah, and all these people are like, dude, I just bought my computer four years ago and you're telling me it's like dumpster? Mm-hmm. Are, are, you, are you kidding me? Like, you know, is it really or did you just not bother to test? Now we're finding out, oh, they didn't really test. So maybe oh, for sure, work. at least with Zen 1. There's no yeah. reason Zen Plus should be supported in Zen 1, shouldn't it? They're like the, the same, same architecture. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I have, uh, you know, an 1800X that I bought like... Oh, yeah, you have a Zen 1 Threadripper, so... Oh, no, I, I have a Zen 2 Threadripper. Oh, Zen 1, I'm sorry, not yeah. Threadripper. No, I have yeah. two great machines because I'm stupid and use all my money on hardware because we need it for VFX. Like, if you want to make great renders, you have to have mm-hmm. great hardware. Um. But no, like I think you get to you have excuses for having multiple multi core oh, systems. Oh yeah, and I get to play games on cool hardware. It's yeah. just a benefit, you know. It's just, it's just a plus one. It's a great job. Um, this, this is what you like to do, of course. Uh, Yoda King writes in and he says, "As an artist, what are your thoughts on more accessible tools and learning materials for art, like Epic Games making our art station courses free or Blender becoming more popular? And could you talk about some differences between working as an artist on a game versus a movie? Because I thought you did have some experience. I did right- some contract stuff for um, certain things. I can't even talk. Those things, I don't even know if they're ever going to be." Pre- put out which can happen in games too where you work on something and you don't even know if it's sure. ever going to come out but yeah battlefield I, I, battlefront three never came out <laughs> we'll see um, um but yeah i mean yeah yeah i did some contract work for film before i got into games because honestly like game the game industry is smaller than uh, other forms of entertainment like mm-hmm. like uh pre-visualization within film is massive these days uh, mm-hmm. Like, uh, not many people realize the Mandalorian was filmed in Unreal, right? Yep. Like, it's it, it's it's this massive thing, and it's and what I'm finding is it's becoming more. So it's always been an incestuous industry. It's always been, like if you work in film, especially if you're in like certain things like modeling, like modeling for film and modeling for games is like only different in the way that you optimize the end thing. That's it. Like, right? mm-hmm. like you, and you, I mean, that's what I would imagine, right? Yeah. That there's even optimization as all. Well, there is optimization. And like, I think what I've called like, because I have to deal with it a little bit making my own videos, right? Like smart layouts for when you're like putting together a video. You don't want to make the Threadripper rendering your movie take too long, right? Oh, yeah. But, yeah. The compositor is still, but there's some worries, but a lot of words. Like, com- 
uh, compared to games though i mean for sure dude like like for film especially i mean like you have a machine these fuckers mm. have like farms like yeah. farms <laughs> of machines to send jobs to so like there is some concern about being optimized because they have to make sure that the film renders before they want to put it out right because they're yeah. usually rendering it throughout production um but at the same time it's not a massive concern like you, you like and that's kind of what you end up finding a lot is there's a lot of things that you can do in film that are very expensive and you can't do anything like that in games so instead you have to find other ways to do things mm-hmm. right like high poly count we couldn't really do that so what do we do we get tessellation and we get um you know displacement and we fake it we fake it looking like there's rocks on the ground when it's really just some displaced geometry and a texture. Yeah. Right. Like, like that's kind of the difference, but these game engines, like again, with the UE five, like they're so good these days that studios are legitimately, legitimately looking at the, and this is like my first bigger thing was like working on previous stuff um, because it's, it's such a big market right now because film studios are like, we can shoot the film without post being like this massive headache. Right. Like you don't have to deal with posts for weeks on end. We can just. Oh, yeah. And then if you need to change something, it's a lot easier. too. It's a lot cheaper. Like you're on set and you do some of these things like because all the other tools for film are already built out really well. Like lighting um, tools are Mm -hmm. amazing. And actually a lot of game tools are built to mimic the stuff in film. um, Yeah. Various things. And when it comes to lighting, for example, like you, they've hooked these systems in, in such a way where like they can update the lighting on a scene uh, on a green screen set or well, not green screen sets because these the LCD TV or maybe not LCDs, but these TVs um, for the backgrounds. Um, but they can update like the lighting on the, the talent and have that immediately go to Unreal and update the scene. So there's not even like this thing of like, oh, maybe it's not going to work. Like they know like this time of day matches these lightings in this uh, room. And this time of day is also going to look this in Unreal. And it's going to match every time, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. It's like, like if you told people like five years ago in film that that was going to happen, I think they look at you like you're fucking kidding. Right. Because if you look at what games looked like five years ago, like, oh, you're going to be in Fortnite. It's going to, I even had people like basically act like this. Like it's going to look like that, huh? Yeah, you're gonna ship a, a, a massive game or a massive film with uh, with Fortnite graphics, okay? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? But it, now it's like actually very possible that then all the films you could be seeing from now on that someone walks yeah. on a ledge, that ledge was rendered in Unreal. Yeah, it's not even crazy to say. So that, that that's that's um, and it's common sense. I mean, it's yeah. so much easier, I'm sure, to dynamically work on a movie too. That it's like, why would you? I mean, come on, guys. And 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 at the end of the day, it's just if it looks about as good. What I mean, who cares? You know, yeah. If it, it, yeah. If, if it looks close, I mean, that's that's kind of the the downside of all VFX. Um, we call it mm-hmm. pixel fucking, where like some art director will go in and be like, dude, this one thing in this corner. I don't like it. I don't like this rock. I don't like this bug. And it's like, dude, oh my God. It's like the smallest change, but it's going to take like two hours just because mm-hmm. these tools aren't perfect. Right. Like there's not instant changes. Um, and, and you I've been that. like that though, playing a game. I, 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 this is such a random memory I had. I was playing a uh, battlefield three with a friend and I was like, why does this rock look so horrible 
right here behind this tree. This looks so much worse than every other rock. And my friend Brock just goes, just let the man go home. That's why. I'm sure there was that one rock. And he's like, I'm going home. I'm tired. Yeah, it it, it, I mean, it definitely happens. And I mean, that's the kind of the, the, like I was saying earlier, when it comes to making content, like you always have to know that it's, there's a good chance you're never going to touch it again. And you got to be sure mm-hmm. that it's, it's where it needs to be. Otherwise, you know, it's going to make a worse experience for someone out there. We try our best not to do that. Final question, or at least conversation point. How do you recommend people interested getting into game development get into it in the first place? Because I've heard very different advice from different people. I mean, the way I would go about it, like, because I thought I had to go to university when I was in high school. So I like went straight to university. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't have to do that. Uh, I, I, for example, I know an artist who he got a job way before I did uh, at, at Treyarch as a weapons artist when he was like 19 because he just made great weapons. Mm-hmm. And they, were, they just like saw his art station and reached out to him and hired him like the next day. And it's it's honestly like the same way with me now. Like I, I have, well, I got it. Activision's like super hard on the reels, so I haven't been able to get a good reel out um, of, all, of all my work. Um, but the people can look at my like resume and be like, okay, you worked on all these effects and we know the game was shit hot. So whatever. Mm. Um, and really that's what it comes down to for a lot of art related disciplines is like, you know, what kind of body of work do you have behind you? Like, like no one wants to train an artist. No one wants to hold your hand. It's, it's not that type of industry, um, unfortunately. And, and it's, it's cause like we're building games right off the bat. Like you hit the ground running. Right. Oh yeah. Like there's not a Yeah, lot I'm of... sure, right? You you go to work at Sony Santa Monica and it's like, hey, make this fire effect now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like instantly they're like, uh, here's an environment, make it look good. And I did that. And then they gave me the next thing. And you know, they don't just throw you to the wolves with like a you know, with like the biggest boss in the game right off the right out the door. But um, you know, they test you as you're going and they make sure you're doing well and give you tasks that you they feel you can take on. But uh, when it comes to actually getting started, I think the biggest thing is just to find what you want to do. Like I struggled for so long finding what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be a modeler or texture artist or, you know, like mm-hmm. something in like hair, maybe like I played around with so much bull crap. Like I did procedural buildings, like I didn't know what I wanted to do. But then eventually I started really getting into effects. And actually what happened is um, one of the effects artists that I was talking to at the time, just like on a game dev um, discord was like, dude, you look like an, like you're acting like an effects artist. Like you're mainly making effects. Why don't you just get into effects instead of like, I was trying to go like more techie at the time, like tech art or programming mm-hmm. at the time. I was like, yeah, I should. And then I just moved the, the, I just went fully into effects and, you know, committed myself to that. And it took like, it took a while. It took like a half a year to a year of just focusing on effects, watching tutorials, getting the basics down. Honestly, like you're going to learn probably more from YouTube than like anywhere else these days. Um, and mm-hmm. it's not going to be perfect information. You shouldn't like, you know, if you no. start a job, you shouldn't be like, this guy on YouTube said, he's like, no, <laughs> he probably doesn't know as much as he thinks he does. Cause a lot of these tutorials are made by people who make tutorials. They don't actually work in the industry. So I was going to say if they, the reason they're, it's kind of like a, it's a double-edged sword. off subject, but it's like, you know, this guy's giving uh, financial advice because he's, isn't actually making any money with exactly. his own advice. So he wouldn't be telling you what to do if he was a good with finances. Exactly. Probably, but. Yeah, it's, kinda, it's not to say these guys are all bad. Like, you can still but learn that's not always that. true. There are some people that truly do have like crazy good tutorials and stuff because they just like teaching yeah. and they just want people I'm to know. I'm trying to do that again. It's so it's so time intensive to make 
like a really informative series that is consistent, that teaches people mm. not like that. That's a big hole that we find ourselves in effects a lot. Like someone will teach you how to make a fire, but they won't teach you how to make a fire. Right. They, like they'll walk you through the steps that they took to create that thing, but they won't tell you, they won't explain to you why they did various things. So you won't be able to walk away from that and be like, okay, I can make a fire now mm-hmm. because you didn't really learn anything. You just clicked buttons. And that's a big, that's why I say like, you, should, you have to actually love what you're doing. Because if you're just following tutorials, you will get nowhere. Oh yeah, you have to have the. I would imagine, right? You would have to, you have to have the desire to just actually make sure you're because you want to know how that other thing worked next to it, right? Exactly. Exactly. And employers want you to be special, right? Again, like a thousand people apply for your job, right? You have to stand out among those people. You have to know things that maybe they don't know, and that typically doesn't mean that you're just following YouTube tutorials. It means you're going out of your way to make new things. Um, you know, if you're, if you are in modeling, it means you're making like your own brushes and you can make like really cool stuff that's new. And I mean, honestly, like if I were to say like to recommend any fields, I wouldn't say modeling. Cause that's the most, it's where the most people are right now. You're going to face so much competition from people who are like, so godlike that unless you're like mm-hmm. godlike, it's going to be rough. I know a lot of people that are in that boat, unfortunately. Um, but like, if you just want to kind of get your foot in the door and see what it's like, I mean, lighting, um, uh, animation, rigging, and you know, VFX. VFX is huge. There's, there's way more openings than there are artists, and people are very open to training you because it's it's hard to learn the craft from someone who does, isn't really knowing what they're talking about a ton. But when you talk, like when I worked with Treyarch for like six months, I was like, all of a sudden, it was like completely different. It was night and day. Like all of a sudden you learn mm-hmm. from these guys who eat and breathe this shit at the highest level and they, they give you all the information they have. You know, they, mm-hmm. they don't hide anything. They're not like, hey, like I'm not gonna tell you all my all my tips, because then you might take my job. Like, like that's that doesn't really happen in my experience. Um, so you, you know, just just finding that thing that you can start in can be a massive bonus. And then you can always move around to like my lead VFX artist right now, he just shipped a game um, like a couple years back as like a senior lighting artist. Like you don't have to be stuck in one career, and usually these careers are pretty uh, hot-swappable to a certain extent. Like, you know, lighting, uh, VFX is very reliant on lighting, and lighting is very, you know, reliant on VFX to a certain extent, so you, you end up having to have a similar mindset. Um, but yeah, yeah, if I would recommend anything, it'd be like lighting, VFX, um, uh, uh, matte uh, compositing, which is like skyboxes. That's becoming less of a big deal, but a lot, of, mm. a lot of games still need like painted skies, and that's something that not a lot of people think of. Oh, the, yeah. And then animators and uh, riggers were, were the, the, the other two big ones, of course. Um, those are all positions yeah. that are hiring massively. And if you have even a modicum of skill, you will be a contender. So, well, I mean, I, I do try to throw in a question like that at the end as well, because I I know that's probably not what most people listen to this to hear about. They want to just, you know, see if they can hear little snippets of God of War, or what it's like to actually work on a game. But Every time, you know, what you just gave, I know, is invaluable advice to some, oh, yeah. at least a handful of people listening, for sure. And I do see the comments. I wish like, I had known thank, these things Thank you earlier. for asking that. Like, I really do. Yeah. Like, I really wish that someone had told me, you don't have to be in modeling. You can do something else and be very successful in that. Like, it, it's hard, though, because a lot of these industries, like, the, the game development industry is very cutting edge, very new. So there, I mean, there may even be a new job next year that opens up with a completely new idea. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you learn that stuff first, you might be the first to get a job. Who knows? Right. And you will be more likely to know about the new thing if you're 
actively pursuing it on your own. Yeah, and if you listen to channels like this, that's, again, why I listen to these things. Which is why everyone should listen to everything I ever say and give me all of their money. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like to a certain extent, I mean, that's how you stay ahead of the pack, right? Like, it's it's a race, man, in life, so you got to be in front of everyone else to win, I find. All right. Well, I mean, I definitely want to thank you for coming on. I mean, it was really a treat to really finally get to talk to someone who works at one of these major AAA studios. Um, and if anyone listening works at one, you know, if you work at Bungie or Bethesda, yeah. I would love to have you on. Come you know, show, don't be shy. Man, like, as long as I don't get fired, I think I think we should be good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to happen. I think. I, I, honestly, I even had this experience to, to the very first question. I just remembered this. Um, th- like when I very first started, I was I was also building out content that I was selling and like doing tutorials mm-hmm. and stuff. And like one of the guys I talked to was like, dude, why are you doing that? That's like so dangerous. What about like your contracts? It's like, ah, oh. like, like, like you, we got to end this mentality of like uh, our company's owning us. You know, I mean, be, be, be your own person. Take some pride in your work. It's very important uh, for uh, your self-confidence at the very least. Hmm. All right. Well, um, again, uh, thanks for coming. Do, do you want to plug anything? I guess I usually ask no, my guests that I'm trying out like a million things and I have nothing right now. So I'll just plug. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and by the next game that comes out of Sony Santa Monica, by the next right? game that comes out, it's going to be killer. You know, maybe buy some DLC from Cultware, I guess. I don't care. <laughs> but, you know. You don't work there anymore, though. Buy what looks great, man. If, if you love if you love our games, buy them. You should love them, though. They, they look awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address 
mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasser, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Disru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N, Alethros, Judson Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchik, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jen Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Tick Dickler, Joaquin Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Casa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Greg S. Acker, Endless Lines, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galinowski, Eric Carousteel, Dark Rain 2049, Layton Perry, Joseph Caraman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore, Bear, Denovan Russell, Zabra Z Burrs, Thicky, Martin Prashagi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Ulam, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canoes Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehuhu, Sarah Light, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castile, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou, Mark Kelly, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Langner, Ronnie Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ref Schneider, My Sharona, Y Truly, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, SS, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Semi Malas, Kevin Chin, Shakir, Nick Rake, and Oldham Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Meetham Pork, Jimmy and G, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Z Jits, it's Shield TV, Couteau, Dane P, John Wissink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse Jass, Kawiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, Amiable Chief, Mitchell Pell, Gordon Freeman, Garanadin, Aaron, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>